Hello there and welcome to Thank the Maker, a podcast about heroes, princesses, scoundrels, hokey religions, ancient weapons, and all things Star Wars. I'm your host, Adam Russell. Hey, everybody. I'm your host, Ryan Key. And I'm also your host, Nick Ganbarian. We also have a special guest today. A very special, very tiny guest in his home, based on the way he looks in the Zoom call right now. Oh, it's our boy Alex from All Time Low. Hey. hey. Alex Gaskarth, everybody. Hey. Yes. Hey, thank bud. you for thank you for having me. This is nice, and I am small. I'm just I, like I said, I'm getting smaller. Fucking COVID, man. This is just a thing I've been doing. <laughs> Alex has discovered a new symptom of COVID nineteen. You get smaller. Mm-hmm. You just shrink. Shrinkage. We're, by the way, we're not going to tell anyone listening why we're making this joke because it's not funny to anyone but us. No. Just, no, it's Alex is shrinking. Yeah. It's better if most of the jokes on a podcast happened before the podcast started yep. taping and the audience doesn't actually know anything Agreed. about what you're talking yeah, about. It's better for it's, us. It's free game jokes. Quality. Free game jokes only. Quality. It's worth <laughs> noting, though, that you're getting smaller, but your dick's staying the same size. Oh, yeah. So it's a net win. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> There's Adam making my mom really stoked to listen to this podcast <laughs> every week. Sorry, Ryan's mom. <laughs> it's okay. She loves it. She, she, she thinks you're funny. Does she want my I number? I got it wrapped around my neck like, like a Star Wars character. <laughs> <laughs> Alex, thanks for coming and doing right. this really quick. Just to say, like, my connection to Alex and All Time Low is like a huge thing because for those of you that listen and know my band, Yellow Card, we took some years off. And then when we were coming back to tour again for the first time in 2010 and 11, and we were kind of kicking the dust off the old get fiddles and getting back out on the road. All Time Low took us out on like our first gigantic tour again in years. It had been years since we'd done a tour that size and it seriously like kickstarted the entire second wave of Yellow Card. So oh, man. Um, I have to say that and say thanks, bud, because uh, I think like the last decade of, um, decade of my career was kickstarted by that tour. So thanks, man. Damn, dude. And that's very for, cool. Thanks for being here. It was an honor to have you guys out. We were obviously... As I think I confessed to you many times on that tour, we were huge fans and obviously inspired and influenced by you guys. So it was a, it was a pleasure. Yeah. It was, it was, it was good it hangs. Was awesome. Good hangs. Yep. Got, not, lots of like good, weird nights too. It was, it was great. It was great. For sure. You've never taken my band on tour, so fuck you. <laughs> uh, Your band got us really messed up in Australia a lot, I feel like. That's our job that's, as elders. Yep, I remember that. <laughs> that's really one of the, the best parts of being in Australia is just getting messed up. Oh, yeah. oh man! Especially on Soundwave, right? When it's just yeah. like so, so two hotels with that's, fifty that, bands yeah. in them. Yeah, and that's six days of shows. So many days off. <laughs> our our three bands were all staying in the same hotels that entire tour, and most nights someone would find a way to get someone's room number and just call the room incessantly <laughs> at like three, four in the morning to be like, "Hey, we found a bar that's still open. We're going back <laughs> Let's out. Go. Come down to the lobby." <laughs> And so, yeah, that's that's what happened. So this tour we're talking about was in 2011, in the fall. Yep. They have a huge festival in Australia called Soundwave. And that year, Soundwave got canceled. So in the fall, they did this, <laughs> like, kind of makeup version of it called Counter Revolution, Soundwave Counter Revolution. But either way, the lineup was sick. Yeah. And the thing about that tour that I remember the most, other than us just incessantly pounding every beer we could find at, like at all hours of every day, <laughs> we had so many days off. I don't know if you guys remember that, but it was like, yeah, yeah it's... We, we would post up for one show and then we would stay in, in Melbourne for like four full days with nothing yeah. to do. Melbourne. You're there for Melbourne. 14 days about, and then you have yeah. maybe six shows. Yeah. It's amazing. It was wild. It was wild. It's, it was it's so weird to me that the tour didn't end up financially succeeding it's it's like it didn't it's like the numbers didn't add up somewhere it's weird yeah it's weird it's weird, it's weird guys 
All right, let's talk Star Wars. We, uh, yeah, let's talk about Star Wars. Yes. Before we get into specifically what we're talking about this week, I should ask, I think this is better at the top of the show. Alex, what is your first Star Wars memory? Your earliest? Oh, man. So my, my earliest Star Wars memory is, uh, so I was born in the UK and I moved to the States when I was around seven years old. And one of my very first friends lived in my neighborhood and it was like the kid up the street that I would go play with. I was probably nine, eight or nine. And I remember going to his house and we were chilling. It was like after school one day and his dad came home and threw on Empire Strikes Back. And I had no idea what Star Wars was, had not been introduced to it yet and was just instantly obsessed, absolutely obsessed. Like the scene where, you know, Han grabs Luke's lightsaber and cuts this thing open and stuffs Luke inside to keep him warm. From that moment on, I was like, A, I'm terrified and shocked and scarred for life from that scene. B, I'm in. And from then on, it was like, it was the thing. I was just, I sought out the original trilogy and demanded that my parents let me watch them. And then it was that kid's dad took us to see, I think, episode one when it came out. 99. It was when they yeah. came out. So yeah, that, yeah. that, was, that was a few years later. That's dope. It's awesome that you have that vivid of a memory still. It's nice that your first memory is connected to the best film of the nine film saga. Yeah. Spoiler, have, I, have we not gone over that yet? And I just spoiled my opinion on that. There you <laughs> was, go, guys. <laughs> that, yeah, obviously that is the best movie. It's not even really a debate. It's not up for debate. It's not an argument. That is the best. It's yeah, science. It's really not anymore. It's just, <laughs> there's a formula. <laughs> Nine out of 10 dentists agree. But yeah, I mean, it's, uh, it was a good way to be introduced and it's a very happy memory. That's awesome. Cool. Well, you mentioned the prequels, which is where we are here on Thank the Maker. Wrapping them up. Yep. Wrapping them up. We've reached episode three, Revenge of the Sith. The sixth Star Wars film, the final installment of the prequel trilogy bringing to conclusion the story of Anakin Skywalker's fall from the light and the rise of Darth Vader, the evilest motherfucker. It picks up a couple years after Attack of the Clones, so 12-ish years after episode one when we first met Anakin as a little baby boy. He's a different dude. He's swole as fuck in this one. Oh, yeah. yeah. He's all cut up, shaves his chest and shit. Angsty. <laughs> Padme's just, at all times, just drenched in the pants. Because... <laughs> It's undeniable. That scene where, where he's having the nightmare and sweating, his chest is glistening. That's why she yeah. stuck around despite all the red flags. Oh, yeah. Exactly. Like, now she's just like, uh, you know what? I was sticking around because this guy's a fucking stud. He's a stud. A hunk. And I want to lay here and look at this sweaty, glistening hunk of chest. Good point, Adam. Good point. Way to decipher why Padme stuck around. I appreciate that. That's love. I'm a film critic. I'm a professional, so. <laughs> yep. yep. It shows. I know. I could, uh, I could read this Disney Plus description or Ryan Key. You could just read the opening crawl. I think that's better. Hold on. I got to back up off the mic for the first word because it has an exclamation point at the end. Hold on. War! The Republic is crumbling under attacks by the ruthless Sith Lord Count Dooku. There are heroes on both sides. Evil is everywhere. In a stunning move, the fiendish droid leader General Grievous has swept into the Republic capital and kidnapped Chancellor Palpatine, leader of the Galactic Senate. As the Separatist droid army attempts to flee the besieged capital with their valuable hostage, two Jedi Knights lead a desperate mission to rescue the captive Chancellor. Ooh. Mmm, but he's playing both sides. Dude. I'm, Best crawl of all three prequels. I'm already getting amped. I don't want to give anything away because I, you guys have the structure of how this podcast is going to flow. But, like, I just got to say... 
this episode is so good because you finally see all of those little pieces of manipulation and background BSery Palps was working on. It finally starts coming together and you see how he's been playing all these different people yep. for his agenda. And it's just, yeah, it feels so good. It feels so good to Grandpa see Grandpa Sheev just, just pulling the strings. Yep. And pretty much off the, a couple of minutes into the movie, he tells Anakin to do it. Oh yeah. And just yeah, decapitate like Dooku. It's like, all right, get yeah. this guy out of the yeah. way. He brings in that full fucking emperor voice. Yeah. Do you guys agree? Cause we, we've talked a little bit about episodes one and two, the, the crawls, even just the crawls being kind of like what the trade disputes and what, what do you, right. you're just going to write that <laughs> down on the screen and we're reading it like, but this is the best crawl of the three. Yes. Cause it's the most just sort of like, sci-fi like fantasy star wars feeling like okay there's cool stuff going on between the republic and and the sith and like there's good guys and bad guys and we're off on a on a race to the to see who's gonna win kind of feeling and i hadn't thought about it until now that this is clearly the best crawl of the three prequels it very much starts to feel like the star wars we all know and love from the original for sure sure. and lucas he had hit his stride by this point although the scope of this project was bigger in terms of like the workload for the CG and all that shit. It seems like the head shit figured out. He had dusted off the rust on his, you know, his director's bike. And with the end clearly in sight and knowing exactly like the checklist of what he had to hit to bring us up to a new hope, everything was just kind of hitting on all levels. It seemed like. Yeah. I feel like it's got to, in a way, it's got to be easier to write and direct a script where you know what points you have to tie up what loose ends, you know, I mean, I I feel like the journey is almost harder to satisfy an audience. Whereas like here, we know where it's going. So it's, it makes sense that he hit his stride in the sense that I think the original trilogy, and I'm sure you guys have already talked about this, but a, it leans way more into the green screen, the graphics, the CGI, which we had not seen before. So he, I think, you know, the technology came a long way between episode one and this, but also, yeah, his, his sense of like figuring out where the movie had to go. It was just clear cut. There is a lot. I spent some time with a decent behind the scenes uh, doc for this. And it seems like everything they invented in episode one, they were like hitting their stride by episode three. So people were just more comfortable with it. But then again, they were then innovating still forward from what they invented a mere five or six years ago, whatever it was. They were now comfortable and actually still just starting to push it forward from there at that point so you could tell i think it looks the best and uh to me isn't as obvious like yes as a whole it still is as in the prequels but it's not as obvious taking lessons from hard learned because like you said they're inventing shit yeah and i think you have to give the prequel trilogy a little bit of uh not only leeway but also credit in the sense that this was some of the earlier uses of like all of this new technology. And he was so much on the forefront of like wanting to explore it more and more and more. And I think unfortunately, based on like the time frame that this was made, sometimes the movies, when you watch them now, they hit like a little bit of a like, Oh, I can really tell that that's like old tech making these CGI scenes and things like that. But if you kind of understand where it's coming from, it's, it's still impressive what they pulled off. A lot of it still holds up. Yeah, absolutely. What have you done with those plans? So Star Wars Episode Three: Revenge of the Sith was released on May 19th, 2005. Marketing tagline, the saga is complete. For now. <laughs> Sith happens? Or was that just a meme? I don't know about Sith happens. <laughs> Directed by George Lucas, of course, again, like we said, written by George Lucas. Only written by George Lucas, right? Yeah. Starring uh, primarily a returning cast, Ewan McGregor, 
Natalie Portman, Anthony Daniels, Ahmed Best, Christopher Lee, briefly, <laughs> Samuel L. Jackson, Frank Oz, Ian McDermott, Silas Carson as Kiety Mundi and Vice Roy, Newt Gunray. We all know who the other people were that I just said. Jimmy Smits, back as Senator Bail Organa, Hayden Christensen as the glistening, bulging chest. Hard body. Of Anakin Skywalker, hard body motherfucker. So sweaty. And an uncredited, I just learned yesterday, James Earl Jones voice at the end. No! <laughs> Not even in the credits. What? Yeah. Was it like old, dude? Old stock footage? No, it's all new shit, but I guess he was just like, wow. I mean, he's James Earl Jones. You just be like, yeah. no, I'm good. Yeah, it's fine. I got plenty of credit. I'm fine. Tamura Morrison? Is that how you pronounce Commander Cody's name? Yep. Yeah, Same Tamura. dude who, who played Django. Kenny Baker, back as R2-D2. Newcast, though, General Grievous, or the voice of at least, played by Matthew Wood. Do you think Matthew Wood did all the coughing, too? Or just the voice? <laughs> he had the black lung pop. Amy Allen as Ayla Sakura, uncredited in episode two. Uh, Jeremy Bullock, who originally played Boba Fett, has a cameo as Captain Colton, the pilot of the Tanta V4. That's awesome. Didn't know that. I definitely did not know that. Tanta V is also how you pronounce it, I just learned recently. I said Tantive my whole life. I heard it pronounced this way in the Rise of Skywalker audiobook. Or maybe that dude just doesn't know what the fuck he's doing and they just let it slide. <laughs> yeah. Either way. <laughs> Two hour and 20 minute runtime. Second longest, right? There's no way of knowing. But <laughs> you never know. There's no way of knowing. Just like bleach and bright light inside your body. You'll, never, you'll know. never know. You just have to try it. You'll never know. We're looking into it, though. Are we? I do know that the original cut of this movie was four hours long. The first cut. So I do know Holy that much. Shit. So let's just say so under four I hour runtime. I want to see down. that so badly. <laughs> yeah. yeah. How do we get to see that? When is that going to How do we see the yeah. P.T. Anderson cut? <laughs> Rated PG-13. First PG-13 Star Wars film ever yep. for sci-fi violence and some intense images, it says. I imagine that's a that's, burning human. It's the chest. Yeah. It's the chest. You're, it's the glistening I chest. Alex, you're right. It's not the severed legs. It's the glistening no, chest. No, 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 no. The violence is fine. That's PG worthy, <laughs> but it's too much arousal in this film. The nipple. chest is burning in a different way. Maybe the force choking of a pregnant woman. That's probably mm, not. Yeah, yeah. That's not That's good. something you want to talk to the kids mm, about. Not good. <laughs> Estimated $113 million budget, which isn't much more than the others, right? I think it's actually yeah. less Ballpark. than Attack of the Clones. I think it's less. And it seems like, maybe I was just more conscious of it at this point, but it seems like the marketing for this one was fucking everywhere. Yeah. Next yeah. level compared to everything else. And it worked. Yes. Clearly. Yeah, Attack I mean, of the Clones was $115 million, So this oh, is actually less than Attack of the Clones. Grossed $108 million opening week in the U.S., $380 million total. Yeah, sorry, sorry to keep interrupting, but $108 million, that's that's pretty crazy because we talked about how Attack of the Clones was somewhat disappointing. And this yeah. is almost $30 million more opening week. You have to wonder how much of it was the trailers showing us all this great shit yeah. that was just kind of undeniable and how much of it was just the buildup over 30 years or whatever it was at this point, people wanting to see it regardless well, of how they the felt. the marketing was everywhere, and it was. They really made a push on this film. So I think people were like, oh my God, we're going to see Anakin Skywalker become Darth Vader. Yeah. I'm going to fucking see that. The payoff. Yeah, like you know. You know what's going to happen, mm -hmm. but you want to know how it happens. In the trailer, sure. which we'll talk about shortly, dude, hell of a trailer. Yeah, I have thoughts. Grossed $868 million worldwide, short of episode one, but still fucking no slouch of a worldwide gross. 7.5 on IMDb, 80% on Rotten Tomatoes with a 66% audience score. Could that be more perfect? <laughs> that's solid. 80 is, uh, yeah, that's, that's real solid. Quarter 66%. 
<laughs> 68 on Metacritic. Nominated for uh, Best Achievement in Makeup. Shot fully digitally again. Oh, I have to issue a correction right here. Episode one was not fully shot digitally. They shot a bunch on film because the cameras weren't ready. Wow. So episode two was the first film ever shot fully digitally, period, on Earth. Um, they shot in Switzerland, Italy, Thailand, Australia, Tunisia, England, the U.S., and China. That's a lot of fucking locations. Back to Tunisia, of course, for the Tatooine scenes, which I just love. Right back to the same spots. They stay true. They do. So let's talk about the trailer really quickly. Was this online? Or this was too early for that, right? I mean, it debuted in theaters. It was definitely before like the YouTube days, obviously. It would have been online. 2005 was the release of the movie. So the trailer would have been started in 2004. It was in my top eight on MySpace. Yeah, there there probably (laughs) would have been. It's so long ago. That's so wild to be like, uh, this was 2005. And I don't remember what video streaming was like. It took 25 minutes to load the trailer. (laughs) (laughs) A two minute video. You just left it. You left the status bar going and you went and did some other shit. And then you came back to watch it. You get up, you have breakfast, you walk your dogs, you have lunch, you work out, you you do your laundry, (laughs) you come back and it's ready. This is the days like between Lost seasons, they had those like little mini-sodes that you could watch on flip phones that were really shitty. They were shot with like fucking handy cams. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, different times. I don't remember anything about what you guys are talking about. I was probably these, I was these, probably via hip hop. <laughs> I was just joining Bayside like late two thousand four, but I don't remember anything. I don't <laughs> Nick, know. Nick, you didn't have a flip phone? On. Did you just go straight Blackberry? No, I had a flip phone and a sidekick simultaneously. Uh, damn. <laughs> damn. How about oh, this? Shit. Let's talk about this really quick, band guys. Are we or were we not the worst people in the world at having all of them? Like oh, one yeah. week you'd be like, oh yeah, I'm Blackberry guy. The oh, next yeah. week, like one band would have like the Nokia walkie-talkie phones. You'd be like, well, we got to have that so we can walkie-talkie each other on Warped Tour. So I'm getting that phone. I and cycled like- in one year through probably six phones. No <laughs> yeah. joke. Like, dude. So let's be very clear here. The Sidekick 2 was vastly superior to the Sidekick 3 that followed it. Oh, yeah. yeah so the Agreed. second that that third edition piece of shit came out, I was over Sidekick. <laughs> so we transitioned to, to BlackBerry at that point. We had no idea what we're doing. So it was like these crappy, crappy Windows phones that like the OS was a glorified version of Pong. Right. Yeah. You'd have like a little wheelie ball to move around the window and navigate. And eventually you'd get like a grain of sand in there and it would, it would break forever. Yep. Oh, uh, dude, that <laughs> oh, fucking yeah. sand in the trackball thing. Mm-hmm. Bane of my existence. But turns out, I just checked on mine about 10 minutes ago. There's a pearl inside. <laughs> oh, so, look at that, dude. Everything in time. You know, <laughs> Pretty good. There were no um, Revenge of the Sith trailers playing on Blackberry. So no, no, let's move no, on. Certainly not. <laughs> I do remember seeing it. I can't remember what movie it was before, but I know I went to see that movie specifically to see the trailer. It didn't fucking matter what movie it was. I do remember seeing it for the first time. Do you guys have those memories still in your old brains? I don't remember seeing the trailer for the first time, but I definitely have a seeing the movie the first time. And it's it's a real dick move. Like, I almost don't want to tell the story because it's so cheesy and shitty and like indicative of where we were at as like, <laughs> oh, we're fucking, our band is huge and we live in Hollywood. And like, yeah, I bro. love this. If you think you're going to get away with not telling it. I'm telling it. So we're in um, Hollywood at the time. This is in, yeah, so it came out in May of 2005. So this is the year after my band, Yellow Card, had kind of had our 
breakout year. Like we had this crazy year. We were these kids in a band in a garage. And then all of a sudden we were like winning video music awards in Miami at the MTV thing. They used to have music on music television. It used to be called music television Weird. for the newcomers here that don't maybe too young to remember. But I don't like the sound of that. <laughs> well, you know, times are changing. Not, not for me. So in 2005, at that time, we were in the studio recording our like follow up album, which ended up being a complete disaster. And, and this story is kind of like the mindset we were in that maybe tells why the record was such a disaster. We were there and Star Wars was coming out and it was me. So I'm like, hey, it's fucking Star Wars. Go big or go home. Let's fucking let's do it. We did have the foresight to think let's get out of L.A. because the theaters in L.A. are going to be crazy. So let's call around. So we had, you know, someone manager, some some person, some assistant type manager person call a bunch of theaters to basically be like, um, so the yellow card guys want to come to see the movie and uh, we'd like it if we could like block off some seats for them and blah, you know, the worst, the worst, like not proud. The only reason I can tell the story is because it's so bad that I remember it really well. Like we talked about, I don't really remember Phantom Menace. I don't really remember the Attack of Clones. This one I do because we rented a limousine. <laughs> Hell yeah. We finished recording for the day. We piled into this said said limousine and we drove like an hour to Orange County, I think, and showed up at this theater. And okay, so it goes to different levels of like we we want to go in the theater, and not be bothered. And and that sounds really <laughs> terrible to say now, but you're right. At the same time, shit was crazy back then. Ryan, can I can I stop you for one second? Please do. Because maybe this will make you feel a ton better. Uh, okay. Or maybe it'll make you feel worse or may- maybe it'll make me <laughs> feel know. worse. I'm not sure Please yet. Go. We'll, we're we're going to navigate through this together. Okay. So Rise of Skywalker. Yep. My band is playing a series of shows at the House of Blues Chicago. Yes. We rented a theater and a bus to take us there. Okay. We locked that shit down. All right. We went in at then- midnight. We took our whole band, our crew and some friends. It was the night of release. Basically, we convinced the theater like stay open an extra hour for us to air it one more time after. And the staff stayed on. They were super cool, really nice, very kind to do that. And we we got to see it premiere night. So, dude, it, you it makes me were... feel this story. I feel better because this, this theater was packed. It makes me feel worse because where was my fucking invite? But moving on. <laughs> um, you were we in walked, Chicago. <laughs> we walk into this theater and we thought like they were just sort of going to be like, all right. Yeah. So you guys, here's where you're going to sit. You know, like it's we have this place for you to sit. It's kind of quiet because we came in late and it's dark. And like, here you go. You're going to sit right here. The shit was like police taped off, dude. <laughs> like they had they had brought in like yellow, like Spencer's gift police tape to like tape off a whole <laughs> row of seats for us to, to go. So everyone's just and, waiting and watching to see who the fucking yes, dickbags are that yes, are going to so sit in these was seats. A little, it was a little uncomfortable when we I saw that. that. And then second of all, you know we walked in and at the time when we thought shit was so crazy because we can't go to the mall without someone wanting to, you know, we were like, we just want to go watch Star Wars in peace. Like the worst first world bullshit mentality. <laughs> but we we did it. And you know everyone in there turned around and was like, who the fuck are these? Who the fuck is that? The door opens is. and everybody just hears <laughs> the door. It's like totally silent and just all the heads turn. Yep. Like in a movie where somebody shows up at a wedding that's already in progress. Oh, yeah. Yes. Yeah. It's exactly what we did. I remember the whole thing very clearly. But we did. So good. We did have a blast, though. It was like, it, you know, doing something like that where you get to experience something like a Star Wars film with that many close friends, you know, and yes. it's like a real experience like that just enhances the whole thing, too. It was awesome, but it was pretty douchey. So um, I disagree. Don't feel bad. You nailed okay. it. All right. You nailed it. All right. Great. Nailed it. Well, I have a touching story. 
Touch me. I was in my hometown of St. Louis, Missouri. I saw it at midnight with friends. I saw it again at 10.30 a.m. the next morning with my nephew. And then I saw it at 4 or 5 p.m. with my dad. So three times within like less than 24 hours. That's awesome. That's what I did for Rise of at Skywalker. Chesterfield Galaxy in, uh, in St. Louis. I love that. I think there's something very interesting about Star Wars films that like it's one of the few franchises that people will go and do that. Go and see it yeah. three, four times in a row from premiere night to the following day with different family members, different, like what I love is how much of a shared experience it is across so many different generations. It's like you said, you can go see it with your dad, then with your nephew, then with your, the kid that lives down the street. I don't know if you guys hang out with that kid down your street, but (laughs) he smells. No, (laughs) it's interesting. Nick, what about you? I think I saw rise of Skywalker three times in under 16 hours. Damn. That's awesome. On tour. (laughs) That's awesome. We have a winner. I don't remember. I like I said. I think I I definitely had joined Bayside at that point. I don't remember where I saw it, but all I remember is me wanting to wear my hood up all the time now because I thought it was really cool being a Sith. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I'm like, yeah, this hood's going up. Still yeah. to this day, if I get a cool hoodie that like hangs the right way over my head, I'm like, uh, what's up, Anakin? Hot topic Still. saw Yo. like a vast upswing in black hoodie sales <laughs> yeah, immediately. Absolutely. Yeah, and yellow contact sales. <laughs> Yeah, I could only find yellow cat ones, though. <laughs> they didn't look good. Yeah, the hoodies from uh, Adidas absolutely are supposed to be like Sith or Jedi hoodies. They're, like, they're massive. They lay really well. Like the Star Wars Adidas line, the hoods on those are very awesome. That is dope. Yeah, can we get some merch <laughs> sent our way? Do they call it merch at Adidas? What do they call it? Can we have some? Pretty <laughs> sure. Some Sounds right. Merch? <laughs> Drew and Kurt just hit us with the details. 868 million equals 1.15 billion by today's dollar. Ooh. So that's a classic Disney success story. We yeah. hit that one bill. And here's the, uh, here's the announcement for the trailer. The much anticipated full release trailer for Star Wars Episode Three: Revenge of the Sith is on its way. Consisting of over two minutes of new footage from the movie, the full trailer will soon appear on television on StarWars.com and in theaters. First, on Thursday, March 10th, at 9 p.m., be sure to tune into Fox to catch the all-new episode of The O.C. Ah, During mm-hmm. the broadcast, Fox will air the episode three trailer. I don't, I don't remember watching the fucking O.C., but I definitely saw the trailer. Dude, I don't want to jump the gun here, and I could be misspeaking, but in this trailer, do we see Yoda spark up the lightsaber? We definitely hear the words, Lord Vader, rise. Yes, yes we hear that they, at the They end. splice together those two different scenes. Yep. A certain point of view. Many of the truths we cling to. Depend greatly on our own point of view. All right. From a certain point of view, folks think there was too much or maybe some bad CGI in this movie. I can see it here and there, some stuff that maybe didn't age as well as other things. But I personally think, from my certain point of view, that they fucking crushed in this film and broke new ground and the majority of it still holds up. I agree. In my rewatch, I actually really only have one major one because I have maybe more than all of us, like just this huge problem with the CGI in these films. Like I've tried really hard to stay reserved in that regard. But really in this one, yeah, there's too much sometimes. Like there are scenes where still with the battle droids and stuff, it's just not, it's not my thing. And it it seems like overkill, but I think I was used to it. You know, by this film, you're just, that's part of what you're going to experience in the prequel trilogy. So it's kind of, it's more comfortable to watch it. But on my rewatch, there's really only one thing and the rest of it, I agree with you, Adam. I think they actually finally found their stride. You know, it, it, like Lucas kind of found the balance of overload 
and innovation. I think he was much closer, at least, on this film than any of the other, or than the other two, I should say. But the creature that Obi Wan is riding in the mm, yeah. <laughs> scene, making that noise. I'm just saying, in rewatching it for the first time because I haven't watched in a long time. So I had to go back and watch them. And that thing he's riding and that noise it makes just like, and, and then, yes. And then like, exactly. That's exactly it. And then like every scene that it's done, you're like, oh, and then it's back. There's more. It's like he gets off of it and he's like free of it. And he's fighting a battle and he's like, oh, yo, come over here. I need to jump on you. For you want some more? Ride. <laughs> yeah. That's what they're saying. Yes. <laughs> it's in the screenplay. So that. Honestly, I think a big thing for me, to your point, and we kind of spoke to it earlier, is the parts that stuck out to me in the CGI, it wasn't even so much the character work or like the big lizard, for example, or, or any of that stuff. It, what really th- like pulls me out of the movie experience a little bit is like the very basic scenes of like Padme and Anakin in a room just chatting to each other. And you can very clearly tell how green screened it is. But what I think, and again, to the point that we made earlier this prequel trilogy embraces this new mindset. Like you have to realize they were shooting all of this. They were using less locale. They were using less practical scenery and they leaned into it and embraced it. And I think without doing that, you wouldn't have seen the giant strides that they made in the VFX world, because I think a lot of this pushed that into being the norm Big facts. for not just star Wars, but every other movie. I think without it, you just wouldn't have seen it. And now you got to think where we are in this day and age as the technology has improved and, and all that, like every movie is shot that way now. Yep. Studios save hundreds of millions of dollars by not having to take crews to all these different locations and being able to shoot on site. And it's like it revolutionized not only the movie, but the movie industry. Set yep. a new bar. Yeah. One thing they had too, which they would have benefited from in episode one or two is, I guess they call it the reference corridor where they just had high res screens to really watch what was going on in like a pre-visual kind of way. So I think that instead of working with what they got, I think that they were able to fine tune the shots as they went because they were able to see what it looked like on screen already. So yeah. I think that that was a big upgrade from the previous two movies. Absolutely. They also did a shit ton of pre-visualization before they shot a single thing. So they used crude versions of what they have now where they had like a game engine. It was literally a game engine. And then in like these three stages of just a really basic blocking of shots, then a version with the same backgrounds, but with the actors actually in it. And then the final render, they were just more prepared. I think is what it came down to. Not only from yeah. the lessons they learned, but from the new stuff that they implemented on the front end rather than just, oh, we'll fix it later. I think too, you know, with the internet or reviews or just looking at the box office, I think that they knew that they had to do better every time. I mean, obviously yeah. we've talked about it ad nauseum that Lucas is just always going to want to progress everything forward. But like, I think that he, to a certain point, listened to people, you yeah. know, obviously with like, just look at, episode one through three how little you know the regression of what jar jar his involvement is you know like it's just things like that where you know he's listening and then the same thing if people are their eyeballs aren't even in 2005 agreeing with the cgi that they're seeing they think it looks fake even though it looks amazing for them if our brains aren't quantifying it right people are gonna think it looks bad and looks fake. we aren't accepting it yeah exactly so i think that they worked on that and they realized they had a get better footage. And I think that kind of inventing like previs back then was a, a, 
the right step for sure because this one like we keep saying it's the best of the three visually for sure in addition to just like doing better at certain things they continued to invent shit in visual effects in general digital visual effects they use generators like particle generators and physics what do they call them physics engines and things for like a building to crumble or like a water simulator or this or that they invented a handful of stuff including it's when it's after order 66 is called a bunch of the stormtroopers there's firing a bunch when there's a there's like a lot of smoke and dust and shit coming up from the ground and the blaster bolts and the lightsabers are like kind of lighting this dust the lights coming through the dust and lighting it in a way that was brand new for the time way way ahead of its time and still ages really well like you don't see that kind of shit in even a lot of cg now you know unless the budget is right and they have like enough time to put into it or you don't see that so there are things like that that not only were done better but were straight invented from the ground up which is impressive as hell also yoda (laughs) still there, there are some things it could have been better but for the time that was as good or better than Gollum or anything else we had seen and the amount of expression it took Yoda to another level and allowed him to be the character that he was in these films. I agree. And I'm sure we've said this on other podcasts too. I'll accept a little less good looking Yoda for him to be able to do backflips and use a lightsaber. Right. Yeah. yeah I think we were all thinking it like the entire premise that he wasn't always this crippled old thing was so valuable here. It was so important to see the character be what he was fabled to be to juxtapose when Luke finally meets him and he's this, you know, you hear these legends, he's heard the great Yoda. And then, you know, it it makes that moment when you watch it back that much more powerful because you realize, damn, this dude threw down, went toe to toe with Palpatine. I like thinking that he probably could have still done it almost like right up to the end too. the way they pitch it in attack of the clones. When you see that lightsaber battle for the first time, he still walks in limping on his cane right before he whips his lightsaber. He liked, he liked playing it up. Yeah. Yeah, I like the idea that even 30 years later when Luke met him, if he wanted to, you know, like, yeah, okay, I'll lift I'll lift the X-Wing out of the bog. Like, I'll do that for you. But if he wanted to, he could have been like, all right, step back, son. And yeah. just like, I don't know. Don't make me sing. Don't make me sing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. He could have Probably could have cracked the planet in half if he needed to. Yeah, but exactly. Then, yeah, yeah, yeah. I love Yoda. Oh, man. It's my boy. What Can we guy. just dedicate the episode now to Yoda? Can we just... So yeah, what? sidebar <laughs> in memory of. Yeah. I'm still surprised to hear when we were talking about in the timeline episode when I said Yoda and Adam mentioned that like in, in stuff you've read that he's not like a super popular favorite all time character. I thought when I said that it was going to be like, oh, yeah, duh, obvious. But that's my boy. I mean, he's obviously well loved, but I don't think I've ever heard anyone say, oh, he's my favorite, which is stupid. Yeah. Yeah. yeah undeniable. Um, I should also we'll mention we'll throw this in the show notes, the corridor crew video that breaks down the prequel CGI and they actually talk about the practical effects quite a bit. You mentioned it before. We'll put it in again. It's great. Love that. From a certain point of view, literally Anakin and Padme's secret, I'm using air quotes real hard right now, (laughs) conversation halfway behind this pole when Anakin gets off the ship and she's waiting for him there. And she says that she's pregnant. They fucking make out a little bit. Everyone's right there. Am I wrong? Everyone's (laughs) like right there. (laughs) I mean, they were hiding behind those, like, giant column things, you know? I mean, I don't know. Kind of. It's also one of my favorite subtleties of these movies is that I, I feel like there's a bit of a nod to, like, the blind eye. Oh, uh, yeah, like, yeah. Throughout this whole thing, like, oh, yeah, yeah, they're definitely not. They're definitely not. It's like, it speaks to what Luke speaks to in The Last Jedi, where how the Jedi Council wasn't everything that they 
claim to yeah. be. That's and true, like, dude. That's you know, true. I, I think point. I think there's a I don't know, maybe it's just my headcanon, but like No, that's the point I, of the section. I really like this idea that in this weird way they were all sort of like, we know what this is and we know that it's in not a weird that. way they were like your parents that let you have your girlfriend spend the night and just try not to think about the fact that people are getting fingered yeah. in the basement. <laughs> Leave your keys in the bowl. Right. <laughs> Meaning you, right? Adam, you were you, you were That's why I said people, you know, both. Yeah, yeah. Yes, yeah. Yes. There was a little uh, new reference in the new season of The Clone Wars, too, where there's a scene where Anakin is going Getting into secretly. <laughs> it's great. <laughs> I didn't see. They didn't show that. But uh, he has he has Captain Rex, like, guarding a door because he's about to, like, hollow vid with Padme. And Padme, to the viewer, is pregnant, but Anakin doesn't either see it or mention oh. it. But you could see a little baby bump starting to happen because it's leading up to Revenge of the Sith. And right at the end of the scene, Obi-Wan comes up and Captain Rex and Obi-Wan are... Rex knows what he's doing, but Obi-Wan is kind of like, uh, is that is is what I think happening happening? And there, it was kind of an awkward thing. And then the scene ended. So they, they kind of alluded to earlier, to Obi-Wan knowing a little earlier in the Clone Wars. I love that. They all know. All right. I'm going to keep throwing out some really kind of things and... Everybody come with the explanation. I have already like reconciled all these in my head, but still worth discussing. So Anakin says, after Palpatine drops the bomb that he knows the dark side and all this, Anakin says, I will quickly discover the truth of all this. Like, what? He just told you everything. What are you going to discover? What are you, what are you even talking about? What's left? He is the dark side user. He's the Sith. It's like, hey, I fucked your girlfriend. I'll get to the bottom of this. I'm one. mad at you. I'll be right back. I'm gonna get, no, like, <laughs> you guys have been up to something. You know what I mean? I, I don't know, man. What is he getting clunky at? Clunky line, clunky line. Or is it him sort of not wanting to accept the truth that he already knows in that Anakin is always in, in like he wants control. He always wants to be in control. Yeah. That's a reoccurring theme throughout his entire mm-hmm. rise and fall. Is it perhaps that he is not comfortable with what he's just learned and feels as though if he leaves the room and does his own soul searching, he'll somehow come to terms with what Palpatine is because in his mind, he's not ready to like accept yet that this is all bad. Cause right. how can it be bad if it results in Padme surviving everybody being okay, eternal life, all that good stuff right. in his mind. So I think maybe it's just one of those, is it clunky? Yes. Could also be uh, Palpatine kind of dipping his toe in it and just being like, let's see what Anakin can feel or what Anakin knows. Let me let me mention this and see if Anakin points at me and is just like, it's you or what? Right. You know, right. But it's weird. He says, you're the Sith Lord. He like draws a lightsaber and everything. For real. I just I keep going back to the Zoolander quote. I guess I have a lot of things to ponder. Hey, the results are in, amigo. What's left to ponder? <laughs> What's left to ponder? Like <laughs> I know, and that's the thing. Like this whole, this whole part of what we want to discuss in this section on this episode is that motivation to turn to the dark side in this particular scene and all. It again, like all the rest of the shit for me in the in the prequels, track story wise, amazing. It's great. Palpatine being his mentor and turning him to the dark side and. However, that goes down, it, they, that all makes sense and it all tracks and it's all great. But the execution in the films to me was just this section, actually during whatever act, this is still like late act one, right? Like maybe act two. Act two, yeah. When this is happening. The question, was there motivation to turn to the dark side? Results are in, amigo, like all that. It just happened too fast. It was like, what? You're drawing your lightsaber, but now you're okay with it. I think that's why the original cut of the film was four hours long. Dude. That's what I think. I think I just fixed it in my brain did your brain just explode i'm with you adam where you're going right now is where i am so 
Alex, everything you said, I think is spot on. And also, I bet he was just fucking scared. Anakin. Yeah. Like he drew his lightsaber, then he was probably like, uh, maybe I shouldn't try to fight this guy. You know, the Sith Lord that's been pulling all the strings. <laughs> right. And he does go to the council after this and tell them. So he kind of did yeah. the right thing. Brian, what is he? Maybe I shouldn't fight the greatest Sith Lord of <laughs> yeah. all time. It also speaks to his desire to just be like needed by somebody. Like yeah. he just wants buddies always. Like he <laughs> yeah. just wants yeah. friends. Obi-Wan is his angel? buddy. Yeah, he just wants friends. And like Palpatine is kind of this friend to him. Or dad. This emerging friend. And like, be a father figure. Right, for exactly. Sure. Yeah, as yeah. all this stuff comes out, as illogical as it all seems in the moment when you're watching it, it's like this dude's just wrestling with a ton of conflicting emotions. Like, you're bad, but I like you, but you're bad, but I've been taught this by Obi-Wan. But- you know what's funny? We talk about yeah. We talk about Palpatine and we, we call him creepy grandpa Sheev and we call him like Papa <laughs> Sheev and all these like names Peepaw. his grandpa. Peepaw Sheev. Yeah. Peepaw Sheev. And like, and so we call him all these names and it's like, you think about the idea that Anakin always needs friends and like your dad is Obi-Wan. You know, he's like, yo, Padawan, chill the fuck out, do your job, do your chores. Whereas, you know, Peepaw is like, hey man. You know, let's go fishing. Yeah. Here's a hundred dollar right? bill. Go, yes, like, exactly. Go get some bubble so, gum. And you ever drank a beer? Nudie mag. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Your parents won't let you drive the car. Here you go, man. Here's his, here's my truck. And so he's like his friend. He's his friend. You're right. He thinks he's so cool. And then one day he finds a gun and a bunch of Coke in the locker at the end of his bed. <laughs> and a dead body in the basement. Right. And he's like, uh, I'm going to get to the bottom of this, <laughs> Uncle Jim. <laughs> yeah. So the turn, I mean, this leads right into the turn to the dark side and whether or not Anakin had sufficient motivation to actually turn. What's interesting to me is Lucas himself didn't think so in the original script. And I don't know if it was, if it went as far as to revise after shooting and they did this in reshoots. I think they did actually, but it was originally just Jedi focused. They were holding him back. Palpatine had him convinced that they were going to, you know, overthrow him and all that kind of shit. But, he really kind of almost completely flipped the ratio of that to the love story thing. So that it was kind of the opposite. Like, oh, I don't want to lose Padme, but mainly like the Jedi are holding me back. So he flipped it. I think it actually works better with the love element because he does have so many issues, parental issues, leaving his mom. He had those visions about her dying. They were true. He knows he can see the future, blah, blah, blah. But still, is it enough? He kills children. I'm going to go on a tangent here for a second that it's not expressly, I don't think it's expressly said in the prequels, but light side versus dark side, a big difference is that the dark side is, it runs on emotions. It runs on feeling. And the Jedi sort of suppress that and say, be level, be calm, be accepting of whatever. Whereas I think bringing in that love aspect was very important in that not only does he feel betrayed and held down by the Jedi Council, but he, he then also has this really strong pull to do what he feels is right for the person he loves. That he's afraid of losing more than anything. Yes. It's fear. Yes. And he, he feeds into it, which Palpatine sees. And I think, I, I, honestly, I don't think it would have worked without. Also, she's pregnant. Yeah. yeah. There's, there's babies. He, he's got to save her. The wee babes. I think it comes down to what we've spoken about so much in these prequel episodes. You're going to be okay with it at this point, with how it went down and how it was executed. And I think personally that it, it was too fast and that causes this feeling of questioning the justification and the motivation for how he just all of a sudden was murdering children. I get, I get that. I get why you question that and I get why it's a big point of contention with the film. But 
to get to that final scene, which I'm sure we're going to talk about, which is the highlight of this whole trilogy, you accept it now because we've, we just said it. The, the original cut of this film was four hours long. Yeah. We probably would have gotten some more motivation if we had been able to see the four hour cut of this film. We weren't There's a whole hour the of Anakin in a room going, does anyone else want to kill kids? <laughs> you, Mace? They're annoying, right? Yoda? Huh? Right? They're so annoying. So, <laughs> so how do we reconcile it? Let's, from a certain point of view, reconcile this. I mean, you have to think about like what pushes someone or like what fuels that fire in the darkness. You know what I mean? You have to imagine it was already starting to pile up. He killed the sand people. He felt guilty, but he felt justified. Palpatine reinforced that. And it was the same thing with Dooku at the beginning. When he gives him the fucking scissor head chop, you know, Anakin's kind of grappling with it. And he's like, well, you took your hand. You took his head. You're even, you know? So it is building. And then you have to imagine that, like, in each moment, even though he's having that breakdown, that what have I done thing after cutting Mace Windu's arm off and then him getting tossed out, there's something happening in him, like, and that combined with the fear of loss is not insignificant. No, it's all there. It's all there. Yeah. It just doesn't quite land. But the story is there. Absolutely. I mean, yeah. we go back to the, the scene that in, in Attack of the Clones in, in the garage, you know, on Tatooine, basically. Yeah. And so this idea of him and his struggle has been there and it's written into the script and it's all there. I just think there were issues with the way that it landed. Yeah, tonally. Leading us up to this moment. That's what I think. What I think is, is really powerful about this writing and works out really well with the way The Rise of Skywalker was written is the difference in how Anakin and Ben Solo or Anakin and Rey even channel their feelings and ultimately, like, what love does to them. Like, in the end, Ben literally gave his life to save Rey out of love rather than trying to strangle the universe to his will because he was afraid to lose. You know what I mean? He, like, literally just died so she could live. And Rey did the same thing right before for him. So it's pretty amazing to see how we start with this, like, what not to do version of being a Force user who has emotions despite all your teachers telling you you're not supposed to have them, what not to do, and then what maybe to do and what to teach a whole new generation of Force users to do. I think it's powerful shit. Absolutely. And I think that justifies the turn. Back to the original point about how do you jump to suddenly him killing younglings? That's the point at which he fully, in his subconscious, I guess, says, you know what? Fuck it. This is what I have to do now to A, make it out of here, B, save Padme and my kids, See, reconcile with my BFF, Uncle Palps. Yeah. Prove to him that I can be all that I can be. You know, it's trying it's, to prove to him and also trying not to get killed by him because he's probably fucking terrified. Exactly. Yeah. And not to get all Star Trek about it, but it is very logical. You have to kill all the Jedi. Yeah. 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 And what was going through the head of the first Nazi that flipped the switch on the gas chamber? Heavy. But I think that is the point is that he is supposed yeah. to be like literally the worst of the worst. Yeah. Like at that point, he is How becoming the worst. How did that guy get worst. to that point? How did that yeah, guy yeah. turn to that point of being able to do something like that? It's a heavy-handed yeah. metaphor. And, uh, again, for sure. In the story, but. yeah, dark, buddy. <laughs> I think that it's as I I'm repeating myself. I think, but it's in the story. It's in the story. Him, him going and killing the younglings is in the story. I just wish it would have landed better in the film. You know what I mean? Sure. That, yeah, that makes sense. Just to clarify on the first Nazi to flip the switch comment, one of the main points of the full Skywalker saga beyond the original trilogy, is to 
dismantle the storytelling trope of the like the big bad evil villain air quotes yeah. and reveal the humanity beneath that archetype like the circumstances of, of world war ii didn't just happen overnight you know germany italy japan they weren't filled with inherently evil people who all just decided to attack the world one day years of economic hardship and the aftermath of a bunch of wars and just basic human psychology of in-group, out-group thinking, all these things make humans want to look for someone to blame, you know, to look for a bad guy. And humans become really susceptible to indoctrination with shit like that going on. And then a mentor or a celebrity, a leader, whoever, steps up and claims to understand or care or speak for the people, and people often take the bait. And then that leader points to others as the ones to blame. And then there it is. There's the scapegoat, the bad guy, the, the enemy trying to take something from, from them, right? They are evil. We are in danger, that kind of shit. And people are made to believe that shit. I mean, it, it's really hard to overstate the power of belief, especially in this context. So the idea that thousands upon thousands of Nazi officers and soldiers or Japanese or Italian soldiers are we're all born as fully formed movie villains right out of the womb is just not how human brains work. I would say most humans become evil pieces of shit through their actions rather than being born with an evil gene or some shit. Air quotes again. I mean, aside from the occasional little kid who just gets off on catching animals in the backyard and fucking burning them alive, <laughs> I would say most people are seduced down the dark path in some way or another. And the biggest, baddest, most evil motherfuckers in history, the ones who seduced those masses, all thought they were the good guy at some point, or at least yeah. thought they were right or justified. Sure. Here's something that... Actually, hold on. I'm going to say one last thing, just to illustrate exactly where Anakin's head was and how delusional he was, how blinded he was by like his obsession it wasn't just that he loved Padme, it's that he didn't want to lose her. It was ultimately like as selfish as it was loving. It was control. Because he lost his mom. Yeah, exactly. He had never had control of his life. He was a slave, and then he was taken away from his mom to do something good, air quotes, good from a certain point of view. Yeah. Then she died because he was too late. And then, you know what I mean? So it's just like loss after loss, not to mention Qui-Gon at the beginning. So control, like all little kids, really. I mentioned this in another episode. The Toys That Made Us. Have you seen that? Oh, yeah. So good. You know, so you learned the part about how He-Man, the I have the power slogan, came from market research with kids about what they really want. And all they want is power because <laughs> they're under the control of adults, you know? No joke. I used to run around my backyard with a plastic sword. And uh, there was one day that my the neighbor across the fence yelled at me because I was running around the yard screaming, I have the power over and over and over again. <laughs> yes. And the neighbor just yelled, I have a headache at my mom. <laughs> and my mom took me inside. That's a true story. 100%. That's true. amazing. Were you young enough to still be saying it with an English accent? Yeah, I was like, I was like four or five. Like, at this I point. have the power. Oh yeah, it was full. That British. person is probably like our age. Right. Could you imagine being like that grumpy right now? If I'm like right. just opened the door as a 39 year old yeah. person and like yelled at a kid. Because yep. <laughs> we're Younglings. like we're full on neighbor grown ups now. How do you feel about yeah. that? That's us. Here we are. Yeah, get off my lawn. <laughs> <laughs> so here's one that's tough for me, but I think I have it figured out enough. So if Palpatine announces to the entire Galactic Senate 
here's what the Jedi were trying to do. They were trying to overthrow me. This is why I look like a scrotum now. Announcing to all of the systems in the entire Galactic Senate, the Jedi this, the Jedi that. How, 50 years later, in the time of the sequel trilogy, does Rey say something like, Jedi, I thought they were a myth. Well, Some powerful, powerful propaganda and fear. But Agreed. also think about Uncle Owen, how reserved he was to talk about Luke's father and Ben Kenobi and the Jedi and stuff in A New Hope. The way it was like not spoken of, that's very clear. So I think by the time we get there to the original trilogy and the sequel trilogy, it's just not spoken of. It was propaganda. So the younger generations aren't even aware. Right. Like, well, like Nick said, it was propaganda. And like yeah. now it's like, no, no, you, you can't talk about that because Palpatine pitched it to everyone that it was they were the enemy. So now if you talk about them under the Empire, they're inherently going to be legend because I guess it's kind of illegal to, you know, or it's severely frowned upon to speak of them even, which that's going to yeah. create legend. That's going to create lore. Around Several generations like of propaganda going, ah, no, they weren't that cool. They didn't do that much. They weren't that great. Yeah. They were, right. they were a bunch of heretics, a bunch of religious idiots, zealots, whatever, terrorists, yeah. you know, and then, and then a few generations later, at first it was like, don't talk about them because you'll get shot. And eventually the kids are just like, wait, nobody talks about it. As if the things. Nazis had won kind of thing. Yeah. yeah. Nobody talks about him. And, and then the, the kids just don't know about it because nobody's teaching it in school anymore. Yeah. Producer Kurt just made a, an analogy that like in China, you can't speak about Tiananmen Square. It's basically against the law, right? Right. Right. But that's the legend now. It's legend. Yeah. You know, that story. And I guess you add to it the fact that the outer rim was relatively unexplored at this point, right? It wasn't until Uncharted. yeah, until the until the Empire kind of rose that the outer rim was really more fully colonized, I guess, right? Well, probably because a lot of people were running to the outer rim systems to get away yeah. from the Empire, you know? So a little scavenger girl from Jakku probably wouldn't know shit. She would have heard from somebody who heard from somebody who heard from a droid. Yeah. Makes sense. Case closed. Boom. So why at the time of this movie, I thought this myself, I wondered this myself. Why did the clones just flip a switch, like without hesitation, go from, hey, you guys are my friends. Yeah, Jedi, we fight together. Nope, now I'm going to kill you because this guy said a number over the fucking hologram. We now know. Yeah, we should defer to our in-house Clone Wars expert, <laughs> Nick Ambarian, everybody. <laughs> this is Nick Ambarian, Clone Wars correspondent. Um, <laughs> from the front lines. So they do, <laughs> they do cover in the animated series that every clone made on Kamino has a chip in their head. So I don't want to spoil things, but they do bring up in, I believe it's season six of the Clone Wars, that that is basically the reason for why they switch without questioning anything once Order 66 hits. So executing Order 66 was like a, a computer command, basically, to the clones. Pretty much, yeah. Cool. That's dope. I love it. I need to catch up. I love it. All right. So this one, <laughs> this is just me just being just a smart ass. Because it turns out I fucking love this movie and there's so much good shit to talk about. But when this goes back, Alex, to your point of everyone, it being like the worst kept secret in the galaxy. When Obi-Wan says to Padme right before he leaves, after he says, you know, gives her all the bad news. He says, Anakin is the father, isn't he? Oh, you think so, doctor? <laughs> wait, 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 wait. If he's over there and you're over here, how did they get in there? Fuck, it's just... In the four-hour cut, he actually turns and looks into camera and winks. <laughs> there's, a, there's a fourth wall breaking moment. And it makes that twinkle sound, yeah, yeah. little little bell. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So I think I know the answer, but did Padme bring Obi-Wan 
to Mustafar, or he did he just on board her hide ship. in the bathroom? Okay, yeah, so he yes, hides away for sure. Okay, one of my favorite and most used prequel memes is that exact shot, but on the door as it closes, it says "Nope." <laughs> does a little force wave. Strong, strong content. The exchange between Anakin and Padme on Mustafar is still. This goes back to the conversation we had about maybe Padme's like relationship issues. They seem much better and much more on the same page throughout this movie. But at this point, she is still just like on board no matter what. Yeah. Found out he killed a bunch of kids. Yeah. He's talking about my new empire. We're going to rule the galaxy. And she, it's just breaking her heart. It's not, oh, my God, you're a psychopath. I'm out. It's, but I love you. Right. She's the abused spouse, you know, on some level. I mean, he's not literally hitting her until he chokes her. I was going to say. But, force chokes her almost to I death. Feel like, I feel like it almost, this is the moment where it culminates maybe slightly backwards in that you haven't seen him sort of enact any kind of like pressure on her physically. But like, I think in that moment, she's like, you killed kids. You're talking about yeah. ruling a galaxy. And like in the same way that we talked about why is Anakin still reconciling his grievances with Palpatine? I think in that moment, she's like, wrestling with that this is the dude i love i'm having kids with this man and he's telling me now that younglings are dead and also he's probably about to back to the fear thing he's capable of cutting me in half very (laughs) very very swiftly yeah you know i think from another point of view a certain point of view too i think that anakin is the final nail in the coffin of palpatine's plan going through so if she sees any chance that anakin can unturn at that point because i guess that's vader at that point if she can talk vader out of fully committing to palpatine then palpatine's plan doesn't go through yeah the stakes are the galaxy not just their relationship at this point yeah like yes it's a relationship thing yes he killed those younglings he's got yellow eyes he's on a lava planet but if there's any chance i mean she flew there to try and Obi-Wan was a stowaway. Yeah. Dropped that cape and was like, let's do this. That's a good point. Another amazing gif slash meme is when he drops the cape and it just says, my body is ready. <laughs> Top five. Okay, why did Yoda bail on the fight with Palpatine? That was a pretty gnarly fall. When you're beat, you're beat, man. I'm thinking like uh, Megan in Bridesmaids talking about how she hit a lot of shit, broke a lot of whatever. Pinballed the whole way down. Took a hard, hard, violent fall, kind of pinballed down, hit a lot of railings, broke a lot of shit. (laughs) Not going to say I survived, I thrived. (laughs) (laughs) And I think it's just that. To her point, that fight was a stalemate. I think in that moment, after pinballing all the way down, Yoda's like, I got a better chance getting out of here right now and trying to hold on to yeah. some semblance of a potential rebellion against this thing than if I go back up there and try to fight a guy that's kind of kicking my ass. Yoda has the low ground. <laughs> the way low ground. Yeah. He's also 800 plus. He's pushing right. a thousand. <laughs> He's pushing a grand. Dude loves a Werther's. <laughs> and he has to be thinking, like you said, strategically, okay, there's a bunch of people out there just getting fucking hacked down. I need to go rally the troops instead of just fighting this dude just to prove a point. Yep. Only a Sith deals in absolutes. Wasn't that sentence an absolute, mm. Obi? Mm. Well, I remember just in, in Bayside Land, I remember 2005 having my hood up and having like our tour manager say something that was an absolute <laughs> and just me turning to someone and being like, fuck it, Sith. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Doesn't that show the, you know, the, the hubris of the Jedi, as Luke says, the idea that they were also the all-powerful force in the galaxy. So it was a really contradictory position to be in. As a Jedi, as far as we are responsible for keeping peace and justice in the galaxy, we are the end of the road. Yep. But we're also supposed to be 
we're not supposed to pass judgment. You know, we're supposed to like right. be experiencing the galaxy from uh, through the force, but you can't. If you're if you're supposed to be the lawmakers, you have to have absolutes. So yeah. that's my favorite thing about that whole line. Yeah, I want to believe that's actually good writing. You know, that that contradiction he's making out loud, he doesn't even know he's making it's it. It's something he's just been, it's been drilled into his head forever. And it's like, this is what I say now. Exactly. How do you end up an old man on a desert planet alone for the rest of your life? You are a part of this order that has lost its way. And that's a prime example of being lost and not understanding, you know, the word. Do you understand the words that are coming out of my mouth? <laughs> like that. It's like, he doesn't even understand what he's saying. And I think that that. You're literally watching the whole thing that you've worked towards crumble in front of you. And then like the first thing you think of is to spout some regurgitated line that's been indoctrinated yeah. into you from Rhetoric. the time yep. that you came up. It's like, ugh, yeah, yeah. It's, it's such a good line. You guys are crushing this segment. <laughs> All right. Here's something legit. And it also has a theory to go along with it, which someone shared recently in the chat. Is the high ground really an advantageous position? It's the moral high ground. No. Hmm. Well, that is the metaphor. That, yeah. Certainly. Yeah. I always took it as somehow Obi-Wan knew the move, the jump Anakin was about to try. So I feel like Obi-Wan was like, don't try that one move you're going to do because I have the high ground and I'm going to ruin you. Yeah. That's how yeah. I always took it. It made sense Don't to me do that it. way. Just taunting him. It's the master talking to the kid, like that he's trained his entire life saying, remember what I used to tell you? Yeah. I have the high ground. Don't attack me right now. And that's, it's Anakin's pride. The very thing that caused him to collapse into what he became. I think he kind of realizes in that moment, it's like, this is it. Cause he's going to challenge me regardless. Yeah. So if we're talking about whether or not the high ground is an advantage in general, like in life, in warfare or whatever, maybe, maybe not. But is it when fucking Obi-Wan Kenobi has it? Yes. Mythbusters busted that. <laughs> in the context of Anakin and Obi-Wan, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, but ultimately he ends up on the low ground because Anakin flips above him, right? And we know right. that Obi-Wan is the master of the low ground. Going back to episode one with Darth Maul, he was literally hanging below him, like down a fucking tube and pulled that sick move, flipped over him and chopped his ass in half. So he knew he had Drew. Anakin like regardless. And he was truly just kind of taunting him, I guess. Producer Drew, you're the man. I just wanted to reference this and I didn't know what to reference out of it. So in the art of war, military leaders are advised to take the high ground and let the enemy try to attack from a lower position. Fighting from an elevated position is said to be easier for a number of tactical reasons. Holding the high ground offers an elevated vantage point with a wide field of view, enabling surveillance of the surrounding landscape in contrast to valleys, which offer a limited field of view. And I swear when you brought this up, I was going to be like, I bet in the art of war, it says take the fucking high ground. <laughs> yeah. And Drew just dropped the knowledge on us. Thank you, sir. I love it. I like knowledge. I but you know what's great about that factoid being dropped in is whether or not myth, because you mentioned that Mythbusters kind of debunked that. I think it's just a writing tool. You know what yeah. I mean? Everyone everyone thinks in warfare, the high ground is the way to go. So I think that's why as a writer, you would put that in because they were in a battle and yeah. it makes sense to think that the victor has the high ground. It is a really fun Mythbusters episode though. They do all the measurements and make sure they're at the right spots. <laughs> it ends up just being Adam Savage, just like, if you could see me right now, just going <laughs> just down while Jamie just does this thing. And it's just, it's hilarious. It's a fucking mess. Like they don't look like they're fighting for real because there's no way to really fight. And it's a great episode. So Padme dies giving birth to Leia and Luke. When Luke asks Leia in Return of the Jedi, 
do you remember your mother, your real mother? She says, yes, essentially. And she gives a vague description. How is that possible? I'm sitting this one out, guys. You could retcon Star Wars 99.8%. This this falls into the 0.2%. Yeah. I was just going to say, sense. one was written 25 years prior. So yeah. I think you just had to let that one go. because Again, when... it comes down to headcanon. It's like maybe a vision at some point, maybe a weird... That's where I am. ...force memory yeah. That, yeah. that she recalls it as a child or something, but it was more of a dream, a recollection, something given to her by the force that she didn't understand yet. Yeah. That's probably how I would perceive that. Well, what's cool about this universe and galaxy and the force is that we can use that in our headcanon to make an excuse for why it was written that way. And then it's all good. That's why I have so much fun with these movies, guys. (laughs) All these people out there taking it so seriously, getting so mad. I know, dude. That's what we're here for. That's what we're here for. Come on, guys. It's okay. It's going to be okay. The force will guide you to the answers. Everything's fine. (laughs) Something serious could happen, like a global pandemic, you know, just lighten up. (laughs) That's not stopping anybody. I had a, I tweeted yesterday that Daisy Ridley was a treasure because of her acting in Rise of Skywalker. And yeah, so I I agree with you. People like it had like mostly positive feedback. And then there's people who just aren't over it ever. And it's just like, dude, really? The world is literally falling apart right now and you're going (laughs) to... Not you don't follow me, so you're not you're just going into somebody's feed and talking shit. It's like, come on, man. Let people enjoy things. Yeah. Side note, does anyone know, Adam or Nick, how many quarantine casts this is? Do we know how many far? Like how many far? Is that English? I speak English. I swear. Do we know how far back we go with our quarantine casts? I wanna say four. This will be the we did f- yeah. one quarter portion and now we've done So a full month yeah. of episodes in quarantine. Still pissed off about that movie. <laughs> right? It uh it did get a lot of love though, like number of retweets and likes and amount of interaction no, for yeah, a non band sure. related tweet relative to number of followers. It got a lot yeah. of love. I was happy. Well done, man. I, it's just like people quote tweeting it being like some some asshole with some other podcast that fucking no one's going to listen to is just like uh, best comedy of 2019 or whatever. He might have even said 2020 jokes on that clown. <laughs> Skywalker didn't come out this year. Podcast shade. Here <laughs> yeah. we go. Yeah, right. Bringing the uh, heat. Now it's real. But I just wrote back because like I'm definitely not engaging in a fight, but I was just like, thanks for shitting on something I love. And he won, though, because he's like. No problem. I'm like, you don't just get to admit that you're an asshole. That's not how this works. That's not how any of this works. (laughs) So in closing on this one, I'm with Alex. I think it's a vision kind of thing through the force. And there's also that thing like that humans have. You have these false memories. You hear our brains literally don't know the difference between a story that we remember and an actual thing that we experienced. So I have this false memory of being a little kid in a sink getting a bath in my great aunt's house in Illinois that is impossible for me to remember because I was like baby size. Right. But I had seen enough pictures and been told about it enough that it registers in my brain. Still, it feels like a memory, even though I know it's not. So you combine the fucking force with that. There you go. Easy. Or just the Organa's telling her about her family, you know, yeah. about her mother, like that could just have become a memory for her. And she says she was beautiful, but sad. Yeah. So like she was crying while she was giving birth and dying. So, I mean, all that kind of checks out. She may have seen Revenge of the Sith. <laughs> <laughs> so was Padme slightly force sensitive, maybe? Hmm. Are there indications that she would be? Are there theories out there that she is? I haven't read anything, but there are moments. Kurt says big sad. Kenan says 100% no. Yeah, I've never, I've never picked on it up on any crumbs if there were any. Yeah, I don't there. think so. I don't think so. I don't, I don't think she picks up enough throughout the journey with Anakin to, to allude to that. 
I think the way we know in the sequel trilogy that we watch Finn sort of start to realize he has force sensitivity. Yeah. I don't think you see that with Padme, even at the, its lowest level where I think Finn would be, you know, Finn has very intuitive combat skills. You know, he's able mm-hmm. to pick up the lightsaber and sort of figure out what to do with it. I think he can sense Ray from distance, things like that. And I don't think Padme had those skills really displayed in, in the prequels. All right, two more, and then we'll get on to Den of Antiquities. Padme losing the will to live, being the reason she died. Medically fine. I was a little not stoked on that when that happened, but yeah, yeah it's weird. somebody suggested something recently that made it make sense, and I think it could be pretty cool. Anyone else before I say this? Having seen the sequel trilogy now, I, I truly think that they did a great job of making Palpatine's influence through this entire thing, including the sequels, that much more powerful in the sense that I think in that he was seeding Anakin's feelings, thoughts, everything. And after maybe egging him on to go a little bit too far with Padme that put her in a position of fighting for her life while delivering the kids, I I do think that her loss of faith in the whole situation in the same way that we saw Leia hold on for a long time before her body was reclaimed by the force. I think Padme sort of was allowed to hold on until she lost her, all of her faith in the whole situation. And the last piece of faith being that the force kind of held on to her to make sure that the kids were okay, delivered healthy out in the world and thriving. Yeah, because she was, she was carrying these midichlorian rich twins. She was carrying Jedi. So I think the sequel trilogy does a very good job of showing that the force has a bit more of an influence on things than maybe we've seen. She was on force life support is what you're suggesting. She was a conduit. Middle chlorine rich Jedi in her womb. And she was almost essentially dead before. I, I, well, she's been dead the whole film. We just realized <laughs> she's dead on the inside forever. She was force choked out before she gave birth. I mean, again, maybe her, her body was strained in a way that if you're about to go into childbirth, if the thing that kind of induces your labor is the fact that you were almost choked to death, that could have been what I'm speculating here, but what he was thinking as a writer, where, where he was going with like, I can explain that she was severely injured or had lost energy to survive childbirth through the fact that she had just had this traumatic experience. That's what I always thought. Like, yeah. I don't think it was executed well, but I've always connected the death of Padme to the force choke of Anakin. Yeah. Because I like, really, I mean, that that's what really drives home the birth of Darth Vader to me is the idea that Anakin actually physically killed the love of his life, the thing he was trying to save. I love that line that Snoke says, the dark rises in the light to meet it. Yeah. And it's almost in that, it's kind of a similar thing in that moment where she's literally being killed and extinguished by the love of her life, who is now this embodiment of the dark side. And then the light to meet it is the, is her hanging on for those few more moments to. Well, those kids being born. That's. And yeah, Luke and Leia being born are the light to meet it. Yeah. Dude, my, all of my hair is standing up on my arms while, (laughs) but okay. All the hair on my arms is standing up while we're talking about revenge of the Sith. We have succeeded. We've done it. We've We've done it. Yeah. Vader and his kids being born at the same time. Yeah. We'll talk about that's in, (laughs) I love you. I know that's a brilliant scene. One thing. My theory that I was never willing to like die on a hill for about Rise of Skywalker and Palpatine coming back, I thought it was a cool idea. I never thought it was actually going to happen, but I felt like Palpatine killed Padme in that moment to push Vader 
Over the Edge. Mm. And I always felt like Anakin had to be a part of The Rise of Skywalker, because if you're going to bring Palpatine back, you'd have to bring Vader back. And I feel like Force Ghost Anakin knew all of the truth once he was a ghost. And that was what was going to turn Ben back to the light side, because you picture Han talking to Ben, and that's like the last time you see Kylo and he's now Ben. I always pictured Anakin having that talk and being like, Palpatine turned me into what he needed me to be. And what he did was literally kill my mother and kill my wife. And you're dangerously close to going down that same path and you can't do it. And I felt like in Rise of Skywalker, that would have been an insane scene and a very good reason for Ben to come back. So in my head, I was like, that also retcons that she has lacks the will to live anymore. That always bothered (laughs) me for sure. So to me, it fixed that part, but then had a huge arc all the way to episode nine that made everything really feel like episode one through nine were connected yeah i wasn't willing to like be like that has to be it but i felt like that was a good idea pretty solid i've also heard someone mention that in killing padme someone who agrees with with this he kind of stole her life force to put into anakin who was who would have died otherwise yeah making them even further connected making him even further manipulatable yeah there's something there that's definitely that's a good idea that i had (laughs) we'll find out when we get george lucas on the show we can ask him all this stuff (laughs) Yeah, somebody page him. Last thing, we already talked about this, so I'll say it really briefly and then add one thing. The idea of hiding the kids on Anakin's home planet with his family (laughs) being a good place to hide the kids. Uh, We talked about that in another episode. It doesn't bother me. I think it's a hidden in plain sight, a storytelling technique. It's a classic trope, classic mechanism in in story writing. You know, the idea that Anakin uh, hates sand. He's never going back there. He would never think to look there. Kurt, just put like, it in the chat. It, so much sand. Way too much sand for him to ever go there. And also, you're going to get all that sand in that breathing apparatus. Like, mm. it's just not. No. He can't no. go on salt planets or sand planets. Nope. Let's just nope. make that canon. Vader would not do good on Crate. Mm. He's not going to do well on Jakku or Tatooine. And we're not. We're, think about the cleaning you'd have that to thing do. That thing clogs right up. And all the <laughs> oh, shit. Man. It would just be a, There's not enough back yeah, to juice so, in the world to wash yeah. that shit off. If anything else, you hide him there because you know that Vader's not going to want to clean the air filters in his mask yeah, by just exactly. setting foot on Tatooine. Exactly. So he's not going there. But I think in a, in a practical sense, I think that's the storytelling mechanism. Is We know he hates it there. His mother died there. All these terrible memories he has. So let's hide the kid in plain sight. They do leave a pretty legendary Jedi there to look after him, too, who feels terrible about the whole thing and wants to look out for this kid. Here's the second part of this, though. Obi-Wan, now just known as Ben, and that makes him invisible, like Clark Kent, (laughs) just throws on some glasses. Mm -hmm. Oh, you mean old Ben? Yeah, uh, it's a different guy. But here's Mm -hmm. my question. Is Kenobi just a really common name? Like Antilles in Star Wars is a pretty common name. It's a place. It's a You know what I mean? So is it one of those? like smith yeah like yeah like yeah i was gonna say like a smith or a jansen i don't know how remote i know it's outer rim i don't know how remote this place is it seems pretty desolate like there's they don't have neighbors right the lars homestead there's not just like another little bubble 10 feet away you know like yeah it seems pretty remote and i don't know the answer to this but it might also be out of empire jurisdiction so why would they go there if there's a bright spot at the center of the universe you're on the planet that it's farthest from there it is there you go All right, let's move on to the den of antiquities. Still need some sounds. Did you know that Spielberg actually helped with the previs process on this film? Hmm. I didn't, but I still can't get over the fact that Spielberg was a candidate to direct this film. 
I can't. I can't get over it. He got the offer. He said no. Hmm. I think that's sweet. A lot of the, the lava eruptions on Mustafar was real. Was real. They didn't do it CG. So Mount Etna in Italy, which is one of the Earth's most active volcanoes, was active at the time. So producer Gary Kurtz and a, a film crew flew out there and shot it for like a weekend. Shot a fuckload of footage. Can you imagine having the clout in your filmmaking <laughs> process to be like, hang on, hang on. In a movie that's mostly utilizing CG, what can we not fake? How about fucking lava? Is there a volcano let's, around? Let's go, yeah, like, like, I don't know, maybe build a room for a conversation to take place between two people. No, 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 no. We'll CG that. We'll green screen that. But let's definitely fly a small crew to a fucking volcano. I love it. Yeah. I love it. There's nothing more Star Wars than that. It's awesome. In the, the making of, the majority of the making of uh, in the special edition, or the, you know, the special features of this is about that final fight scene. I think the whole thing pretty much tells it. And all the footage about this lava shit is really interesting. The way they shot, like, they would tilt the camera sideways so they could, it's like they're shooting with their phone portrait orientation, essentially, to get the full right. length of the lava jets. And then they would flip it in post and all kinds of really sweet shit. Here's a question. This would be a Den of Antiquities item if we knew the answer. And if anyone knows it, please tell me. Nick's got to know it. Nick's got to know it. Nick. What is it? What happens to Palpatine's lightsaber after it flies out the window? Damn it. I don't know. I've, I've seen it. it. It exists at Lucasfilm. I've seen it at the Lucasfilm office. So I think that's the answer. <laughs> they, they ran out. Somebody from Lucasfilm was down Souvenir. there getting a drink, having a death yeah. stick. Oh, wow. <laughs> they just hopped the flight from SF to Coruscant and grabbed it. Yep. <laughs> Check out what I found. We talked about the implant and the clones. The opposite of that, though, R2's memory was never wiped. So he's the one throughout yep. the entire nine film journey. This goes back to that. Or we talked about this, the original concept for this script was coming from the diary of the wills. And it was supposed to be this anthology of the story of the galaxy. And in the first iteration in his mind, in George Lucas's mind of the story, R2 was going to be the one that had like the archives saved of this whole story. And he was like telling the story basically, which is sick because he didn't end up telling it that way. But the idea that R2's memory was has never been wiped, he's just keeping all of the shit on his drive, is so sick. I still choose to believe that, because if you look at the leaked script for uh, Rise of Skywalker, the original draft, it had R2 dying. Trevorrow? Yeah, it had R2 dying, and oh. I believe that R2 wouldn't have wanted that for himself, so he told the story the way that he wanted it to go, and that's <laughs> the episode that we ended up with. Yeah, yeah. I back that. We talked about that in an episode. A whole, we did a whole episode on the script, and that also plays into how we just talked about even the outline of it was so fucking dark. And now you're telling me that R2-D2 was going to die in the <laughs> he film? Was the, he was like, the one. Dude, wow. Yeah. That dude has issues. But no, R2 wouldn't allow it because he is the narrator of this whole thing, and I still choose to believe that to this day. He orchestrated the entire thing. R2 is responsible for all of it. What's sick is He's that it. a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away was the beginning of that telling of the story. So that's another one thing that survived from the very beginning. Yep. Also, dude, just think about, I mean, he's a droid, so we don't know what his actual thought process is, like subjectively, we can't relate to it, or it could be totally different than a human's, but he knew Anakin, that's Darth, that's Darth Vader, that's the guy. I used to fly around yep. the ship and help him. We were cool, we were buds. Now my new friend, this is his kid, he has to kill him. And then my new, new friends, you know what I mean? Like, Every step of the way, even more than Chewy. It really makes you think. And interesting as to, like, why didn't he disclose any of that information to any of them along the way? 
because no one can actually understand him. They're all just pretending. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's the true. entire thing. He's like, guys, for fuck's sake, it's Vader. <laughs> Vader's Anakin. They're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Get in the X-Wing, buddy. Sure, let's go. Yeah, beep, beep. Get up. Fucking shut up. <laughs> Dagobah. My weapon systems fun. are offline. What else? Um, this is the first appearance of the Tanta V4. If that is actually the wrong pronunciation, and now I'm sounding like a dipshit, somebody fucking at me. The blockade runner, as it was known. I love seeing it pristine, brand new white. Is it Bale's ship? Is it Bale Organa's ship technically at that point? Kurt's saying yes. Looks good in it. Has to be. Here's one that's, that's pretty sweet. This is, a, this is a Lucas sort of like after the fact thing that I fully back. In the original moment when they raised the gurney, invaders there, you know, he's tied down Frankenstein style. Palpatine drops the news that he killed Padme and so on. In the original, he's, his arms are up like this like a mini cornholio kind of thing with the wrist straps holding him to the table. And I think there was actually like promotional images and shit where he was like that. Maybe it was in the trailer or something, but almost at the last minute, Lucas was like, this looks fucking goofy. If he's going to break out of this and like, just come hard out of the fucking gate, he can't be like, like this kind of fucking thing. So they CG'd his arms down. Those are fully fake arms. Whoa. I did not know that. Hey, speaking on um, the, the Palpatine lightsaber, Got some more um, producer info coming in hot. We have producers. This is the coolest shit ever. It's so legit. For real. <laughs> Palpatine was given two lightsabers in the Clone Wars to retroactively fix the continuity error seen in Episode 3. When his saber flies out the window during the fight with Mace, then he suddenly has it again when he duels with Yoda. There is a Reddit theory. I have not read it, but we will put the link to the Reddit theory in the show notes. All right, then. I like that. I didn't even think about that part. I'm a dumbass. But that aside... You're not. You're really smart. You're a really Thanks, smart man. person. You're doing Thank great. You. I respect you a lot, and you're really smart. Do you think I look cool? You're not <laughs> as smart as Nick, but you're smart. You're really smart. <laughs> I'm dumb as hell. What are you talking about? Regardless, you would imagine the dude had some lightsabers around. That would not be an issue. Yeah, yeah. Like, I'm counting the days so I can go back to Galaxy's Edge and spend another $250 on a second or third or however yeah. many of those I buy. <laughs> think about how many weird remote controls for stuff that your grandparents have. <laughs> And so how he's many does Peepaw Sheev have? He's got that with lightsabers. He's, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Peepaw Sheev, he's stacking them up. <laughs> he buys them at Sam's Club. Certain ones he like can't find the button anymore. He's like, ah, damn it. <laughs> Fire this thing up. Speaking of old people, Grievous's cough was Lucas. That was his cough. He you was sick during question. the shit. I said, did Matthew Wood do the coughing? <laughs> now I know. Full circle. Now I know. Full circle. Hour and a half yep. later, I know the answer. <laughs> this is why you tune in. Yeah. yeah, this is why it's you like tune I in. I tune in to my own show so yeah. I can learn Everyone shit. At home, yeah, and you can't turn it off because you never know. All right. We've talked about a lot that we like, some stuff that we're not totally sure of, but let's talk about the shit that we love. I love you. I know. All right. I have a lot because there's a lot to love in this movie. And I, I've just rediscovered it. Like I said, it was lower on my list than it should have been. I stand corrected. I'm speaking to myself right now. Dude, I'm sorry. It's a <laughs> fucking great Star Wars film. Um, I could start just rattling shit off, or we could talk, or I could rattle stuff off, and you could talk in response. Choose. C. All right. So the opening space battle, I thought that was amazing when I first saw it, number one. But number two, watching the behind the scenes the other day, they mentioned that they made this purposely like lower, you know, kind of barely in that, that atmosphere, almost in space kind of area. So there's a little bit of gravity. There's a little bit of atmosphere for there to be like smoke trails with the missiles and shit. That in addition to the fact that it was just this amazing fucking spectacle. I remember seeing this on the 
the big screen at Arclight, Cinerama Dome, whatever. And it blew my fucking mind. Just the sheer magnitude of this battle when they come around that Star Destroyer and dive down into those millions of ships and all the shit. Holy fuck. Yeah, it's really good, like, from a ship standpoint. But I think you watch some of the stuff they've done later in the sequel trilogy in Rogue One, where it's just ship overload. Yeah. And I also remember watching it for the first time being, like, blown away. Just, holy shit, this is the biggest space battle I've ever seen, you know, on screen. But on a rewatch, it's, it's I still, you know, it's still the droids and, and stuff. It's just like, I don't know. Anakin killing Dooku. This is just, do it. Do it. You know, like. The, the first taste of Uncle Sheev's creepy voice. <laughs> yeah. Do it. Yeah. It's like, come on. There you are. McDermott just like in the best way possible, just chewing the scenery like a fucking cow barfing it back up, chewing it again, <laughs> swallowing for like days. Uh, he's the fucking best, like we said mm. in, in the other ones. It also, it's just great writing too. Like the conflict there and like the imagery with the red lightsaber and the blue, oh. illustrating the conflict in color right there. Palpatine tempting him, Anakin finally giving in, but then feeling guilty. It's great. Well, he didn't want to let his father figure down. Yeah. You know, why put him in that position if he wasn't thinking about doing it anyway? If he wasn't thinking about killing Dooku... He's got him in that lightsaber scissor position, and then he got the okay from from daddy, <laughs> daddy uncle chief, <laughs> <laughs> uncle daddy chief. <laughs> really, all the scenes with the two of them are phenomenal. Yeah, great acting by Hayden Christensen as well. I mean, there are a few like kind of clumsy lines here and there, but overall, it's really good shit. He really pulls off the conflict. Lots of great kind of close up emoting and just great line reads. He steps it up in this movie for sure. And I do yeah. wonder if some of that had to do with, I think we talked about it way earlier in the episode, the lengths that they went to to make the scenes that they were acting in feel more like scenes Yeah, with all of the green screen and all of the stuff that at the time I think these actors weren't as familiar with. He comes a long way. There's a marked difference in this movie. The I guess there are two in his office or chamber or whatever the fuck you want to call it, Palpatine's office, in that hallway, that corridor right there where he finally reveals that he's the dark side user. There's one before that that's solid as well. It's always like, oh, you're in my office, let's take a walk. You know, let's talk. They're scored really well. It's just, it's all great shit. But then the best interaction between the two of them, I think we can all agree, is at the opera, the Darth Plagueis yeah. the Wise story. That's just like top-notch McDermott. That coming back, you know, six movies later is just so sick. Oh, yeah, that's the line. The dark side of the Force is a pathway to many abilities some consider to be unnatural. I love not only the line readings and the score and the way it's lit and the whole nine yards, but how much character depth there is there and how much story is actually being told about Palpatine and all the foreshadowing. It's some of Lucas's best shit ever. You think we get a... Somewhere down the line in, in the midst of all this Disney Plus stuff and all the good stuff we're getting, like a young Palpatine and Darth Plagueis story, you know what I mean? Oof. Showing him being trained and killing him. Like, what? I'll watch that. I'm here for that. Yeah. Same. Man. And they can use that actor from the newer movie, the clone, who is uh, Ray's daddy. Yeah, yeah. Yep. That's yeah, a good time go. to call it no. Like, let's yeah. go. We have a face. This is why we had you on the show. See, we didn't even talk about this, but you know that Ray's daddy was a clone and not actually like a, a child of Palpatine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Failed clone. Just, uh, That's deep knowledge that came out in the novel. So I'm proud of you, son. I, I'm proud of you. Look, I don't always get things right, but when I do. <laughs> <laughs> 
Oh, we of course love the scene when Palpatine takes Anakin as his Sith apprentice, names him Darth Vader. Yep. Rise, the whole fucking thing. It's great. And there's there's some really great, like, borderline accidental comedy in the faces that McDermott makes right there. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> the, uh, what does he say? Yeah. No. The chin thing. He, he does some shit with his mouth that's just, like, unmatched by anyone. <laughs> when he goes, the force. He's a strong and he does the chin thing. Ryan Phillips and I have been saying that to each other nonstop since 2005. That's I always great. felt like that line in particular, I'd really have to listen to it. I feel like they're making his voice change in that line into creepy, deep voice Palpatine. Yeah. Like it yeah. seems like it changes in the middle of that line from like Chancellor Palpatine into Emperor Palpatine, like in the middle of that line. They're definitely doing some weird modulation shit throughout those lines where you can hear like, it sounds like he's got that fucking, the blue line six pedal <laughs> on his voice. You know what I mean? Yeah. The modulation modeler. We're nerds. Um, Whatever they use on Chad Kroger for that, for that rat. <laughs> um, hold on. Can I say one thing that I just found on the internet? Yes. You shall be called Darth Vader, right? So where does Darth Vader come from? Pretty out there that Vader does mean father in Dutch. And Darth was like, sounds like dark. And I think he's talked about how that's where he got that name. And so he says that he had Darth this and Darth that, and he couldn't think of a name. He says in an interview, Lucas says, then I added lots of last names, Vader's and Wilson's and Smith's. And I just came up with the combination of Darth and Vader. And so it goes on to talk about like Darth Smith. So Wilson's and Smith's and Vader's, huh? Like that's your, <laughs> well, and it says in the article, um, <laughs> well, you, you probably could if you went to school with one. So turns out George Lucas went to Downey High School in Modesto, California with Gary Vader, Holy a shit. football player who was one year older than him. And I'm now looking at a picture of Gary Vader in the 1960 Downey High School yearbook. Oh, <laughs> Gary Vader used to shove him in lockers. That's what this is. <laughs> it talks about how we, he doesn't ever say anything about that, but we're all thinking that. Like, did Gary Vader bully George Lucas? Now who's the dipshit, you jock douchebag? <laughs> <laughs> so thank sure you, Gary you. Vader. Yeah. That's fucking great. Gary's like, I used to beat that kid's ass. <laughs> Pull his pants down in front of the lunch line. <laughs> oh, fuck. That's great. Oh, poor little Lucas. Do you think uh, Gary Vader killed younglings? He walked in the room and they're like, oh, God, thank God you're here. Oh, my God, we're so scared. What are we going to do? Help us. And Lucas saw it and he's like, there it is. We're killing yeah. babies. This scene, as brutal as it is, it's somehow like, I mean, I guess this is how we cope with things as humans. It's like probably the most memed out of all of it. The darkest moment in all of Star Wars. <laughs> Dead baby jokes. They always land. You know? <laughs> Dead. Yeah. If you go back and look, because I've made, I've made enough gifts of this, like different variations that I've stared into that poor little kid's eyes, like the moment when the lightsaber ignites and he jumps back. It's goddamn dark, man. Yeah. And yeah, I, but I'm happy it's in there. It had to be. It's almost like an overcorrection. Like I know we we talked about like, did he have enough to turn yet? It's almost like maybe GL was just like mm, he hasn't really done anything terrible yet. Let's have him kill some younglings. He's not it's like that an overcorrection. Bad. <laughs> yeah. And or he's like, oh, you don't like Jar Jar? Watch this shit. Right. <laughs> you want something dark? Moving on, Bail Organa pulling up to the Jedi Temple and getting told to hit the fucking bricks, fucking scram, buddy, by the troopers. And then that mm -hmm. Padawan comes out, takes out a few troopers before he gets shot. Jimmy Smith's yeah. giving a, a really solid reaction to that. 
Great scene. Pretty sure that Padawan is uh, George Lucas' son. I don't remember which one. Oh, dope. There's also an amazing backstory to that Padawan, I believe. There, there's a whole offshoot of that Padawan's adventures. Really? Yeah, before that moment, I'm pretty sure. He's pretty badass. He was supposed to be one of the good ones. He had potential. We'll never know, though. Is this in comics or, or what? I believe it was like, yeah, extended. I don't know if it falls in the new accepted canon or if it fell outside of that, like the EU. Nice! That is nice. <laughs> Oh, I just I just want to say real quick. Can we give a shout out to Bail Organa for just being the fucking man? Dude. That dude's the man. Yeah, dude. Jimmy Smith. Jimmy Smith! Bail Organa. <laughs> yeah. The man. Him just showing up, period. I, I was so stoked about, I remember. Solid dude. I just remember thinking, like knowing back then without having quite the depth of knowledge that I have now, which even still isn't enough. But I just remember seeing that the film for the first time and when he... And just, I don't know, just knowing who he was, you know, as it went on, like, oh yeah, my God, yeah. that's Organa, that, that's yeah. Organa, however you say it. That's where this is going. You know, that's Leia's father. So sick. Depends how close you grew up to Coruscant, by the way, is the answer on how you pronounce the name. That's right. Okay. Well, thank you for clarifying <laughs> that. It's an accent thing. Coruscant, Coruscant. I say, you know? Organa, I Organa. I always say Organa. I always say Organa. Han Han. Han Han. There you go. Obi-Wan and Padme's conversation about Anakin, where Obi-Wan drops the bomb about him turning to the dark side at Padme's apartment right before they go to Mustafar. Super heavy and great performances. Yeah, we really finally get some of that Natalie Portman in that, you know, like, the, yeah. Oh, yeah, there you are. Okay, there you are. And Ewan McGregor killing it as usual. Yeah, he does that. Yoda strolling into Palpatine's chamber and fucking tossing those Praetorian guards against the wall. My, my favorite thing about this entire fight sequence is just Yoda sling, like handling the lightning. Dude, that's the thing. Oh, yeah. yeah. That's Just huge. We've never seen that in it. any other film or anything, right? Someone I taking that lightning with their fucking so. hand. And that's, I think that's what I meant with the, uh, when I said the first time you see him spark up his saber, I think the excitement in this one was not the sparking of the saber. It, it's the you're catching right. of you're the right. lightning. And you're just like, whoa, dude, he is so sick. He is so yeah. much better than everyone else. You're right. That's what it was. There's like a shot of him like with the lightning next to his and it, face. Like, it balls yeah. back up and then it just diffuses into nothing. Like he just eats it into his little yep. green yeah. body. It's so cool. That fight overall is pretty awesome, even though it ends in a stalemate. I think it's awesome, ultimately, now that I think of it, because they are both so fucking powerful. Like, nothing was going to come of that. But I love how they're just throwing around those Senate pods like nothing. They're just, take that, take that, like they're fucking throwing stars. Showing the size of the capability of the Force and the dark side. Yeah. And quite literally, the Senate hall being torn apart by this, the rise of this new emperor. It's a good visual. Right. Yeah. He's like tearing down the Senate like so he could take power, yeah. Quite literally. Don't need these anymore. He is the Senate. <laughs> <laughs> no one's going to sit in these. <laughs> Seat's taken. <laughs> the final lightsaber duel, goes without saying, is fucking phenomenal. Yeah. It took apparently 70,000 people hours to produce uh, visual effects and everything else. The documentary, like we talked about, the, the making of that comes along with the special features, talks primarily about that. And they actually break down, you, you see that number 70,000 because they, as they do each like little bit of it, they just do like this credits list scrolling of how many people were involved in XYZ different part. And it's fucking sweet. Yeah. We could talk about that scene for the whole time. That's so, an episode. Yeah. yeah. We just have to let that sit because yes, that's it. The choreography was amazing. Like the special effects aside, those two dudes trained so hard and you can see that in the making too. They're just like, yeah. they're straight athletes, you know? And the complexity is really kind of 
like dangerous. And they talked about this too. They're, they're not using swords, but they're using rigid sticks that will knock your fucking eye out. Yeah. So trying to look legit and not actually hit your friend, your co-star in the face with the thing or this or that. I, I don't think we have a number on it, how long they actually rehearsed, but I would, I would be surprised if it was any less than a full year getting ready for that final scene, you know? It was done at speed, and I think there's also a little nerdy thing in there that uh, doesn't Anakin at some point during the fight sort of start to noticeably change styles from the one that's similar to Obi-Wan to his signature more Vader style saber stance? I think like at some point during that fight, he like takes on a more angry, aggressive... I remember hearing um, something like that. Yeah. And then it all culminates at the end with the high ground moment like we talked about. And then Obi-Wan's emotional moment after that the quote that we'll read in a minute, picking up his lightsaber as he leaves is just like all the fucking goosebumps. Like I sat there on my couch today and cried, fucking cried. <laughs> this That's is where the we moment, are right this there. Is where we are. That's the moment that'll get you. Oh, that's great. And then it leads to, like we talked about earlier, the parallel scenes between Vader being born and the twins being born. That's really mm. good filmmaking right there. So this is an Easter egg. When you're watching burnt-ass Vader get into his suit for the first time, what he's laying on in the background forms a Empire logo. Oh, nice. Yeah, it's very cool. Did not know that for a very long time. That's a new knowledge for me. Can we just acknowledge how perfect the sound was mixed and the mm. foley and the score and everything was done here? You hear the mask shut. You feel the outside world being deleted from yeah. his life yep. airlock shuts he's sealed inside that fucking thing like you're he's never coming out yeah that's super good and then the breath comes in and goddamn well done george yeah so good i remember that feeling and how it felt to watch that in the theater very clearly because the end of the film is the culmination of the whole thing and it's so climactic and huge and it's what you've been waiting for is to hear that breath it's just such a payoff it was so good. It delivers. Yeah. And it's such an iconic sound, such an iconic character. Yeah. And the, a lot of the time when those moments are hyped up, it falls short. And this is one of those times when it absolutely does not fall short. It's so good. Yeah. And just hearing uh, on the other side, hearing Luke and Leia's names, Natalie Portman just saying those names was emotional. I can't harp on it enough, but that it's, it's my favorite moment in Last Jedi, darkness and the light to meet it. it yep. It's just that scene is I fully feel like that's Ryan Johnson took a lot of cues from the prequels for his film. Yeah. Like you hope he mined that for that. And it, it's so like, good. It just, it, you go back and watch that movie again and it, it's given that end sequence even more validity, which I think is like what star Wars has always been about is like validating itself through its own lore. And like, even, yeah. so, you know, it, it can be considered like backtracking or writing, you know, to things that already exist, but it's, it's, it makes it that much more powerful. It's so good. Nothing without intent mm -hmm. and research. They're not just throwing shit against the wall. Exactly. Yoda telling Obi-Wan that he's communicated with Qui-Gon. Great moment as well. And then we see Vader and the Emperor and Tarkin, Grand Moff Tarkin, played by a dude with a prosthetic on his face, walking up to the windows of the Star Destroyer and seeing the skeleton of the Death Star. Woo! So good. Woo. Oh, we didn't mention also earlier... Anakin walks in right as Palpatine's like, oh, no, 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 I'm not on Facebook. Uh, you know, on his computer, he's got the fucking Death Star plans up. Yeah, don't look at this. No, that, uh, my girlfriend was just using my computer. That's, um, that's a makeup tutorial. <laughs> delete history, delete history. And then we finally win 
Vale goes and takes Leia home to see his wife. We get to see Alderaan, finally. Not as a fucking ball of fire, but as an actual planet. And it's beautiful. It's nicer. It's peaceful. They have no weapons. It's a peaceful planet. And then Leia's theme comes in. Dude, all I did was fucking cry for just like the last 10 minutes of this movie. Feels sad now. Leia's theme is instant tears. Yeah. It's beautiful and... I loved it before, but instant tears now because my sister got married in Disney World, and mm-hmm. when she walked down the aisle, they played Leia's theme, oh, and I, I just lost oh, God. it. That's I, so I was seriously my I I'm watching my sister the whole ceremony, trying not to let the tears that are welling up in my eyes fall down my face, and then I hear Leia's theme, and I'm like, all right, I'm crying I'm now. Out. <laughs> tears, tears are coming out. Here we go. Oh man, and they fucking they. they they know. They got us with that shit in the Rise of Skywalker trailer so bad. Oh, yeah. Nailed me. Oh, yeah. I cried in front of Kurt. <laughs> Final scene on Tatooine. Still, just rolling with the tears. Owen and Baru looking off into the binary sunset. All of the emotions. Mm. All the tears. All the goosebumps. And it ends. Forever. That's it. Six movies. We're done. Yep. Circle's now complete. <laughs> saga concludes. Well, it did say the saga concludes. Yeah. The saga <laughs> is complete. All right, that's all great shit. We all agree, right? Favorite quotes, specifics. I have some funny ones. I have some some heavy ones. Obi-Wan, after they rescue Palpatine in the beginning, they crash land that giant ship. And Obi-Wan, he brushes his hair back and says, Another happy landing. <laughs> those locks, those locks in this one. He just shows up and he's just like, Oh, yes. I woke okay. up like this. He had a sponsorship. He had a Maybelline sponsorship in this <laughs> Yeah, movie. yeah. Vidal <laughs> Sassoon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The high ground quote, great, of course. Another great meme moment when Anakin is just appalled that he's on the council but not a master. How can you be on the council and not be a master? Maze Windu shuts him down and just says, Take a seat, young Skywalker. (laughs) Classic Sam Jackson. Yoda, speaking to Anakin, says, Death is a natural part of life. Rejoice for those around you who transform into the Force. Mourn them, do not. Miss them, do not. It's wisdom. It's great. Warn them, do not. Miss them, do not. But it's also some heavy shit, heavy like dogma and some, you know, celibacy, abstinence, only education kind of shit to put on a human with human emotions. Their abilities aside, this is the kind of shit that ultimately leads to Anakin's downfall. Yes. Yeah. You know, just take those emotions, put them in a little box, lock don't it. Don't feel those things. <laughs> just don't <laughs> feel it. It's, you'll be fine. You'll be fine. Hmm. Get drugs for that. <laughs> Maybe the best one, because it came full circle. The dark side of the force is a pathway to many abilities some consider to be unnatural. Mm, Goddamn unnatural. great. There's some looks in that scene where, again, was it going to die on this theory or not? But almost like breaking the fourth wall, Palpatine says in that whole segment there, something along the lines of Plagueis being able to create life and then just straight up looks at Anakin. Yeah. Like as if he the did evil it. turn, yeah, like yeah, yeah. three or four mm-hmm. of them. Yeah, yeah. Because Nick, you have you talked about a theory that is alluded to in a vision, right, in the Darth Vader yeah. comics. Yeah, that Palpatine put Anakin in Shmi's womb, like he yeah. created him. Yeah. So not confirmed. Pretty sick. Just out there as a vision that Anakin had, and then you have things like this conversation where he literally just says, "Yeah, the the dark side could be able to." create life and then just looks at Anakin like <laughs> not not me though <laughs> it's heard from a guy yeah there's a great little this is actually a great character moment and great line readings by Hayden Christensen and Ewan McGregor on the platform before Obi-Wan leaves for Utapau 
this is the last time the two of them actually see each other before their final battle. So this is great writing here. Anakin actually like has some humility and he says, Master, I've disappointed you. I haven't been very appreciative of your training. I've been arrogant. He apologizes. It's like a whole different character almost from the whiny one we see in episode two. He says, I've just been so frustrated with the council. Obi-Wan says, you are strong and wise. And wise, Anakin, and I am very proud of you. I have trained you since you were a small boy. I have taught you everything I know. Taught you everything I know. We know how that goes down. And you have become a far greater Jedi than I could ever hope to be. As they're leaving, Anakin turns. He does that, like, classic movie thing, like, wait, you know, when they're (laughs) leaving. Anakin says, Obi-Wan. May the Force be with you. Goodbye, old friend. May the Force be with you. Goodbye, old friend. That's the last time he sees Anakin. Yeah. He is dead. Ah. That one hits harder when you go back to rewatch the film, knowing that. You know what I mean? Like, I hadn't watched this movie in a lot of years, and I just rewatched it. God damn it, Kurt. Kurt's in the show notes just dropping, (laughs) hello there's everywhere, just the image of Obi-Wan popping up. Um, When I rewatched it for the first time in, in 10 years or however long it's been, that scene started, and I immediately thought, oh, yeah, this is the last time they see each other. Like, now I know this, and I haven't seen this, like, since it came out. So it definitely hits a lot harder now, I think, than it did the first time I saw it. Last time they see each other before Anakin is betrayed and murdered by Darth Vader, from a certain point of view. Love it. Next, of course. Hello there. Your line. (laughs) It's my favorite line. (laughs) There's Kurt. (laughs) So uncivilized, after Obi-Wan kills Grievous, who we haven't really talked about, uh, with the blaster, tosses the blaster to the side. Good little in-joke. You love a nod. Palpatine's I am the Senate, another super memed quote. I am the Senate. Great delivery. Mm-hmm. This one I fucking love. I remember in the theater thinking, wow, that's a great line. In the Senate rotunda when Palpatine announces the formation of the Empire, Padme says, This is how liberty dies. With thunderous applause. And it is. In any historical situation where this has happened in real life, if that's what happens, is everyone yep. is like, yeah. This is a yeah. great idea. This is the best <laughs> idea. And you are the Let's leader. Do this. Dear leader. The exchange between Obi-Wan and Anakin right before they fight. I'm just going to drop in the whole thing here because there's some really good shit. You thunder against me. You have done that yourself. You will not take it from me. Your anger and your lust for power have already done that. You have allowed this dark lord to twist your mind until now. Until now you have become the very thing you swore to destroy. Don't lecture me, Obi-Wan. I see through the lies of the Jedi. I do not fear the dark side as you do. I have brought peace, freedom, justice... And security to my new empire. Your new empire? Don't make me kill you. Anakin, my allegiance is to the Republic, to democracy! If you're not with me, then you're my enemy. Only a Sith deals in absolutes. I will do what I must. You will try. And then the last conversation before the high ground moment, it's almost like a silent movie. George 
Lucas actually says this specifically, that whole end fight scene is just music in fighting. Yep. Mm-hmm. Obi-Wan says, I have failed you, Anakin. I have failed you. Oh, heavy, man. This part kills me. Kills me. That delivery of that line, I have failed you, Anakin, I have failed you. Honestly, I would say best delivery, best use of a line of dialogue given to an actor in the prequel trilogy. He's begging. Like, I would agree. It it is so intense, and uh, I, and we've talked about this how the stakes just didn't feel as high as we would have liked them to a lot of times, you know, and a lot of that had to do with the dialogue and the direction. But this moment, man, it was just it's so gnarly and it's so real. And Hugh McGregor just knocks it out of the fucking lava park. It's just so interesting to me because he's taking blame. He's not blaming Palpatine at that point. He's not even blaming Anakin. He's saying, I failed you. For everything that's happening right now, I am taking the blame. And then you think about where that leaves him emotionally alone in the desert. He bears that entire burden for the rest of his life. Yeah. He says, I'm going to look after this baby. Until he lets him kill him. Right. Yeah. It's tragic, dude. Mm. Mm. Oh, fuck. And then it it gets heavier, of course. (laughs) They go back and forth a little bit, and he says, he's like just dumbfounded and like, again, like you said, begging. He says, Anakin, Chancellor Palpatine. Palpatine is evil. From my point of view, the Jedi are evil. Well, then you are lost. He's just, he doesn't know what to do. And then at the end, after the high ground thing, Cuts off his legs. He's laying there. He's about to be burned alive and then fully breaks down and tears and everything. Here's where I put in the soundbite because I'll cry if I read this. You were the chosen one. It was said that you would destroy this and not join them. Bring balance to the force, not leave it in darkness. My brother, dude, when he says you were my brother, it's like, ugh. You were the chosen gnarly. one, dude. It's so good. So gnarly. Yeah. I'm not saying anything because I'm crying <laughs> right now. It's so good. Man. It's, <laughs> it's rough, man. It's so rough. All right. Let's pick favorites. I know it's hard, but let's do it. Let's hand out some medals. Favorite scene, favorite quote. Alex, you want to go first as a guest? Yeah, and I'm going to do the obvious. I mean, we just discussed it. You are my brother, Anakin, the chosen one. That's the quote of the entire movie that we have built up over the course of this trilogy. And when it hits, it hits well and it hits true. And it's so gnarly. Just thinking about it, I have a little tear in the corner of my eye. So yeah, I'm, I'm going with that one. It's easy, it's safe, but it's the best. Uh, I'll go. I have a quote because favorite scene, isn't it impossible for us all not to say that the final lightsaber battle is our favorite scene in this film? I mean, that's what you go to, to see. It's what you showed up for. But I have a quote that wasn't kind of on the list that I just found. So I was kind of looking as we were reading through them. I like this one because as I always go back to Master Yoda being my shaman, you know, he's like led me through life for, for so many years now. And his words and teachings resonate so much with what I'm going through at different points in my life. There's a line in this film, Anakin asks him, what must I do, Master Yoda? And his answer is, Train yourself to let go. 
of everything you fear to lose. And like, just dude, at what point in my life was that not relevant? Like I, I don't live by that, but I should, you know what I mean? It's like, I put myself under so much anxiety and stress to succeed and perform and live up to these expectations I have for myself. And as soon as you let go of all this fear of failure, you, you actually succeed, but you spend so much of your time trying to succeed because you're afraid to fail. And I think that was one of Anakin's like tragic flaws was he he was so afraid to lose Padme. He was so afraid to let everyone down that he inevitably failed. And Master Yoda just drops that knowledge, man. So Yoda out here setting us up for 2020 pandemic survival. (laughs) That's what I'm saying. Don't worry about being productive. (laughs) Yes. And like right now where we're sitting, I'm I'm sitting here going like, as so many of us are. So I'm not putting my, I'm not, I'm not projecting my problems on anyone or saying that mine are worse or more. I mean, I can't imagine what others are going through in this pandemic, but the idea of, you know, being in the music industry and sort of finding that the rest of your year, I mean, Alex, all three of us, all four of us here tonight, we know like the rest of your year is just canceled. Sorry, that's it. What are you going to, what do you do and how do you adapt? How do you change? So like you could sit here and, and wallow in this fear of, of losing your career and losing your future because losing an entire year, it's a lot. It's a lot for any of us in, in the world to be thinking about. So that, I don't know, this quote just really resonates to me because what you need to do is just don't worry about that and keep focused on what you do and keep creating and keep, you know, I love Yoda's wisdom. It's so right on. Oh yeah, It's the best writing that George Lucas has done. His entire time at the helm of the writing in these films, his script for Yoda is the best part of it, in my opinion. The one caveat is that it is wise and it is great advice when you're not forbidden to love as Anakin was. Right. It's some, it's a lot of shit to put on a young person. I guess I'm not, I'm not putting myself in that line, <laughs> that, that line, train yourself to let go of everything you fear to lose. I'm not putting like my family and friends in that. I guess I right. am interpreting that more in like a professional sense. Like I know you're that- not an abstinent martial artist <laughs> wizard. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Yeah, like I think is that I'm, what you're I'm, telling me right now? Yeah, I think I'm more <laughs> interpreting it for myself, which is what's great about a lot of the Yoda isms as they apply to you, however you want them to. But yeah, of course, like you can't just train yourself to let go of your family because, well, fuck those guys. Like it's, <laughs> I, I'm more thinking like you know when you let go of this fear of failure. Yeah. I think is what I get out of out of that, and I love that line. So, anyways, next, I'll shut up with my emo bullshit. Or you could just kill younglings. They're everywhere, man. No, 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 (laughs) no. Don't do it. Talking about the real world. They're so loud on fucking video conferences and shit. Like, somebody's (laughs) got to do it. (laughs) (laughs) Too soon, guys. Too soon. We can't. That's not a thing we get to talk about on podcasts. Nick? Uh, I'm going to say, obviously, last laser sword battle is the favorite but i'm gonna i'm gonna say splitting up of the twins i think is really just putting that bow on there where you know that they're gonna go you've seen tatooine before i think seeing alderaan for the first time and seeing bale and his wife have leia is huge because think about and i'll probably say this on every episode we do like leia is the ultimate character where her like strength didn't waver no matter what happened yeah and that has to do a lot with bail and his wife how they raised her i mean obviously she's a skywalker and she's gonna have force sensitivity and become a jedi and train in jedi but 
up until she was reunited with Luke, she was just a child politician. And her strength comes from growing up on Alderaan with the Organas. So so that's a pretty big moment to just see that they are split. And we've already seen Tatooine, so we knew that was coming. But it was kind of a little gift there at the end to see Alderaan. Beautiful gift. What about the quote? Favorite quote? (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it's totally going to be memes, but this is where the fun begins. That's how the movie starts, basically. (laughs) Yeah, I blew it by not adding that. There you go. This is where the fun begins. My favorite scene, (laughs) I'm trying to put nostalgia aside, as I've done in these past episodes. I guess this still includes nostalgia. I can't fucking fight that. The uh, Darth Plagueis the Wise story. It's phenomenal. And the way it ties in now, it's just so sick. Unnatural. Yeah, so that's all I'll say about that. And then favorite quote, I'm just, I have to go with you were the chosen one ending with you are my brother, Anakin. I loved you. That whole, that whole thing, man, it's it just great. It was said that you would bring balance to the force, not leave it in darkness. Dude. Yeah. Dude. Devastation. In a way he did because the kids were born and the kids, the kids were out there. And he tossed Papa Palpatine. And he threw Peepaw down the chute. Peepaw down. So, <laughs> Good <yeah>. old Peepaw. <laughs> Peepaw goes down the chute. I have thoughts about that exact moment right there that we'll talk about when we eventually get to Return of the Jedi. Can't wait. Questions. Can I come back? Can I come do more of this? Dude, any time. Yeah, man. Like, literally any time you want. You have our information? I gotta come back for another episode down the line. Like, Dude, any time you want. Want some follow-up. Absolutely. Actually, no. Okay, fine. <laughs> um, moving on. Yeah. You're fired. Final thoughts. I have a final thought. Say more, if you like. But my takeaway at the end of this, after being at a point where this film didn't rank as highly for me as it did initially when it came out, it went like when it came out, it went number two, it went number two on me. It went to number two after uh, empire. You got to pay extra for that. Sometimes. <laughs> Depends where you are. Um, <laughs> it jumped to number two. Who does number two work for? It jumped to my second spot after empire and it stayed there for a long time. Until I was number two on me. I'm sorry, Sorry. I can't. I'm not coming back from that. It's all right. I can still make the point. Um, It went. It jumped up there to second behind um, that other movie, The Empire Strikes Back, and stayed there for a long time. And then eventually, I was like, I don't don't like this as much as I thought. Reordered it, and then the sequels came out, and then I rearranged it again. It has now moved back up for me. This is a fucking amazing accomplishment by Lucas. Like, prequels are really fucking hard to do. It doesn't matter what universe you're in. Like, if the viewer knows the ending, how do you make that compelling? What do you do? Yeah, It's really difficult. But despite that, we were all just fucking riveted the entire time. Knowing the broad brushstrokes of what's going to happen aside, we were still fully engaged and wanting to see exactly how it was going to unfold and knowing that it would be emotional. And again, uh, I think I saw it three times within 24 hours. We all, we've been talking for two hours about how great it is. So Lucas crushed it, I think. I'll keep mine short. Final thoughts on the whole thing, this film and the whole thing. As, as someone who is not the biggest fan of the prequel trilogy, I urge listeners to make sure you listen to all three episodes of us covering the trilogies because I really have enjoyed getting kind of deeper into them and exploring how, while I may not be the biggest fan of the execution on film, the story itself is so rich and full of 
goodness and surprises and the things that when you know the ending of the story, it's really hard to surprise you, right? Because you already know how, you're not you're not building up to the end because everybody knows what the end is. So you have to provide. And I think from a writing standpoint, from an idea standpoint, the story, Anakin and his story, it's so compelling and it's so massive. And so I just, I, I get like, oh God, it could have been this or that. But I like how we've analyzed these three films in a way that takes them apart to say, you know what? There's a lot of good stuff in here. And this story is so fucking incredible. And I have really enjoyed going back and watching them again and learning more about them and paying more attention to them than I did perhaps in the past because of my personal thoughts on them and stuff. So in the end, this film is the crown jewel of the trilogy for sure. And and I think that, you know, the third act of this film is some of the best Star Wars ever made. Damn. So it's awesome. Uh, for me, I would just say that in the last five years or so, I mean, really since Force Awakens came out, this is probably my most watched, like rewatched Star Wars movie. I feel like I, I go back to this to kind of, whether it was to look for theories or whatever, I just wound up watching this movie so much. If it, I started to get more into the Clone Wars, it, it just, it is, like you said, the crown jewel of the prequels, but I just think it's, it's enriches the entire original trilogy, it just really, to me, became the most rewatchable, not only of the prequels, but just of all nine movies, I would say. Um, I probably overdid it when Force Awakens came out and watched that every night <laughs> forever, especially on tour. But but after that, Revenge of the Sith is probably the most rewatched, even more so <laughs> than the originals. Yeah. Probably in my whole <laughs> life, I've still seen the originals the most. But yeah, I really found a, a love for Revenge of the Sith. I think I think it's great. I'm fully on the same page, and the latest bit of evidence to that is that I, as a 40-year-old man, was in my basement just a few weeks ago trying to do that behind-the-back fucking lightsaber thing that he does in the battle. <laughs> How many cameras did you have rolling at the time? This time, none, but when I post it, two, three angles at least. The Obi-Annie, as it's known. <laughs> Star Wars has always been about the sum total of its parts. That's the biggest thing. In its awkward moments, in its clunky moments, in its bizarre missteps it's like i think it does such a good job of um reorienting when it needs to yeah and i wish i could see the chat that you guys were on somebody send it send it <laughs> um, we just got a sweatshirt graphic for the merch store that says star wars revenge of the sith went number two on me <laughs> and so oh, fuck. cool merch store coming soon yeah all right alex test bay 94 it's a lightning round are you familiar with this have you been prepped i have not but i prefer it that way i guess so let's just go so lightning round either or's favorite things and would you rather okay either or jedi or sith sith you went straight to the dark passion rage straight for the dark side you went straight to the dark i want to feel things man <laughs> all right i'm not gonna repress all that energy sorry <laughs> favorite things favorite lightsaber <sighs> you could say like hilt or color or probably both I mean, a lot of people hated it. Kylo's, the cross beams, so sick. I love it. The exhaust vents, it's yeah. so rad, so rad. Do you know the Easter egg trivia bite about that? Oh, yeah. Compromised crystal, baby. Well, right? Uh, like behind the scenes, do you know that where that idea came from? The Crusaders, no? Knights of Ren? It was well, meant to look like a Crusaders sword. I guess so. But uh, Johnny Ive, you know, Johnny Ive from Apple, designer who designed mm -hmm. everything. He and J.J. Abrams apparently were friends. And suggested 
you know, the character's kind of like unstable and just kind of erratic. Like you should make the lightsaber like that. Just oh. not a solid blade. I love so that. That was so his much. idea. I love it. Okay. Would you rather, both of these are cool, but both, they both suck. So it, it makes it tough. Would you rather okay. get to go for free to all of the Star Wars celebrations in the future? Like until the end of time, till you're dead. Cause you're going to die. But <laughs> you have to wear the same crappy store-bought Star Trek costume to everyone. <laughs> or every year every year you're the star trek guy every year star trek yeah, guy yeah. who bought it like on clearance when kmart was going out of business that star trek uniform <laughs> also it, it ties also, in the back it has like a little also, string back here like, yeah. yes and also people know who you are so it would be like <laughs> yes alex gaskarp is the star trek guy at still star not, wars celebration still not getting it like you couldn't stay anonymous so that's one yep or you only get to go to three more in your lifetime until you become a corpse. But you get to choose a screen-worn costume of your choice to wear. No. First, I'll be, I'll be the idiot in the Star Trek tie-up costume from Walmart. Yeah, because you, yeah. you could go every year. I, w- I would, too. I would take the first one because I get to go to Celebration every year. Because I'm nobody's fool. Like- <laughs> well done. All right, what's, this is an obvious question, but what's going on with you right now? With the band? What are you guys doing? We got coming up. um thanks for asking uh not a whole lot quarantine and laying low you know same weirdness as everybody uh my band did just put a record out uh which is strange given the times but we felt like the music would probably serve as some kind of escape or a little bit of help or whatever given everything so we put that out it's called wake up sunshine it's good fun i enjoy it and uh we're trying to figure out more and more ways to promote it while we're all unable to do what we do on a day-to-day basis, which is usually playing shows for people in person. So uh, we're just navigating the minefield that is our, our current lives. It's been really cool. You know, at the end of the day, I'm really appreciative to still be able to like put new music out and come and do cool shit like this with my friends from a distance and talk to people and connect in ways that this probably wouldn't have happened, to be honest, if, uh, if everything was going as planned. It's true. So I, I'm, yeah, I'm too, grateful for the, on the road. grateful for the moments that have arisen from all of this strangeness. Love that dude. And I agree. Like, I, I mean, I wouldn't have, no one would have like taken it personally. You just would have been busy as shit right now to get you, to get you to be able to hang out for three hours on a star Wars podcast would have been a tall order. Yeah, When, when you're on tour, it's yeah. like, Hey, can you give me like three hours with steady Wi-Fi from a place where there isn't like 18 dudes yeah. walking naked behind you? Like it just, it wouldn't happen. Yeah. So it's, I'm, I really am. I'm grateful for like the, the times that we get to do cool stuff like this right now. Cool, man. Right on. Well, let's do a quote of the week and wrap it up. I heard this quote a long time ago in this great satirical song, actually. Ryan, you probably knew this quote as like a history buff. I didn't. I'm, I'm not as smart as you. I'll read it and then tell you who it's from. Of course, people don't want war. But after all, it's the leaders of the country who determine the policy. And it's always a simple matter to drag the people along, whether it's a democracy, a fascist dictatorship, or a parliament, or a communist dictatorship. Voice or no voice, the people can always be brought to do the bidding of the leaders. That is easy. All you have to do is tell them they're being attacked and denounce the pacifists for lack of patriotism and exposing the country to greater danger. This was said by Hermann Goering at the Nuremberg trials. Hermann Goering, if you don't know, was like the number two Nazi under Hitler. Worst dude ever. Yep. Period ever. Period. Yep. Who served under worst dude ever. Period ever. Period ever. Period. 
What's interesting about the quote is how much of the empire and Palpatine and all that, you know, Lucas drew on Nazi Germany to create that power, that superpower, that evil darkness. And it's funny when you read it without knowing who said it, it's like, oh, well, this is some, this is a fascinating take on dictatorships. And then it's like, oh, basically the dictator himself is just saying this to, to defending himself. It's just crazy. But it's definitely where Palpatine's head was at. Lead them and they will follow. Tell them they're being attacked and they'll believe in, they'll, they'll think you can protect them. Gnarly shit. Gnarly human psychology, manipulation, evil shit. Well, fucking killer high note to end on. Alex, <laughs> thanks for being here. Good vibes. Hey, stoked, guys. Thanks one. for having me. All right. Well, we love you and appreciate you being here. <laughs> Where can we find you on social media to talk about what we just talked about? Oh, I don't know. All the places. Uh, at Alex Gaskarth. My last name is spelled G-A-S-K-A-R-T-H. It's confusing. Look me up. Look me up, I guess, and uh, see my shitty takes. Bill Key, where can we find you? Hey, guys, I'm Bill Key. That's me. I'm Bill. And you can find me everywhere at William Ryan Key. Uh, and you can find me everywhere under, at, or on Twitter, Instagram, uh, at Nick Bayside. <laughs> You can find me. My name is Adam Russell at Adam the Skull on all the stuff where I can use at Adam the Skull. What about the podcast, Bill? Uh, yeah, podcast. You can find I us. love calling you Bill. It's my fucking favorite thing. It doesn't Go. bother me when you do it for some reason. I don't know why. Um, the podcast. So the place where we have the most stuff going on is probably Instagram. It's Thank the Maker Pod. Uh, Twitter. It's uh, at Thank the Maker One, the number one. And most importantly, if you want to support the podcast and get on board, uh, you can submit content questions about anything star wars and just ideas for content and stuff for the shows you can uh, go to patreon.com slash thank the maker pod and uh support us there as well to keep the show going so to anyone who's already supporting us there thank you guys so much so much to everyone listening thank you guys for supporting we're really growing and getting super cool people like alex to come on the show and stuff so it's you guys uh, really got to get a tiktok <laughs> <laughs> you guys know, heard man. of tiktok yet uh, uh that's where i might <laughs> just fall into people sheave territory just i'm a gramps so I, I don't know about all that it's tiktok better to be down the vent shaft than it is on tiktok <laughs> <laughs> that's a great place to end it and until next week may the force be with you 